got another day ahead of us in this city of dreams. Ooh, I love this town. Love it like you might love a mother who popped you out on the steps of an orphanage once and now stops you to ask if you got a smoke for her. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. Oh, it's been a long road. It has been such a freaking long road, and <laughs> we are here with our season finale for season five. Oh, my goodness. It has been a very fun, very long season. <laughs> My name is Tom. And I'm Andrea. And if you've been listening this whole season, I'm the other person that's been on the other castle. <laughs> or if you're just listening now, that still applies. I am the co-host of the other castle. Yes, we are both the hosts of the other castle. And here on the other castle, we break down the plot, lore, and more of video games. And today we are taking you through one of the greatest disaster pieces <laughs> of the last five years. Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, but before we get into that, don't you have a couple things you want to get into? Oh, you know we do, because you know what? This year has been so fucking huge for us here at the Other Castle. We have gone through so many changes. We started this season off with a fucking convention. It's been really our podcast puberty this year. Yeah, we're really coming into our own. You know, we had a salad. We did have a salad. Uh, we were the August 2022 Salad of the Month at Chop Stop, which is a localized chain in California, Nevada, and Texas. Yeah, and we've even gotten emails from people saying they started listening to us because of this fucking salad. I can't tell if that's genuine or just a wild thing to say, because one, it is a wild thing to say. <laughs> but two, if that really happened, I'm so fucking stoked. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people have been reaching out so much more. We've created new spaces for you guys to reach out to us. We now have theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And over there, you can also get a link to our Patreon where you can sign up. And in fact, we've just started launching our Patreon, so we haven't gotten a lot of people yet. However, we have had a few sign up, so I want to give them some shout outs at the top of the episode because you know what? That's what we're going to be doing here at the other castle, at least for the first little while. If you sign up for our Patreon, we're going to give you a shout out at the top of the episode because most people do that at the end. Hell yeah, but we love you. So on our executive washroom tier... We have our very, very wonderful Goomba who's been with us for a long time, and his name is Tijin. And then we also have somebody who joined up on the Goomba Gang tier, <laughs> and that is our very good friend Nathan. I think I've talked to both of you guys on Instagram. You're wonderful, and thank you so much for hanging out with us. You guys are awesome, and we appreciate you. Yeah, so during our downtime in the off-season, that's where you're going to be getting a lot more content is over on our Patreon. In fact, all content will be coming out of <laughs> there. And so if you want to be hearing more from us during the downtime, then please sign up for our Patreon. It starts as low as $3. Yeah, hang out with us. It's good times. Yeah, and we're going to have discussions on Discord. We're going to have newsletters. We're going to have all sorts of stuff. You can even get your very own. Bioshock glass. Cheers. Shots, shots, shots. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that our show has a drinking game and you don't drink. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and kids listen to us, so we're not actually saying you have to drink alcohol. Yeah, no, it can be juice. Yeah, you can be drinking anything out of these shot glasses. You, it's could, just... you could do some emergency shots. You could do some protein powder and like bulk up. <laughs> Go for it. Get weird with it. Yeah, absolutely. Put Pedialyte. anything you want in those glasses. Totally. Uh, tonight I am drinking water. Yeah, I have a coffee. Yeah. So, you know, do what you want to do. All good. <laughs> no judgment here. The Patreon is 
fun. I have been going into all the episode discussions and shit talking the ones I don't like and talking about like, man, you guys, I, I busted my ass for this one. So there's, it's going to be a lot of behind the scenes and getting into some of the production and just, you know, some gossip on what's coming out. There's some crazy news about the Callisto protocol that ties into the creator of Dead Space, Glenn Schofield, that we talked about in our Dead Space episode that I'm like fully losing my mind about. But <laughs> if you want to come and lose your mind with me and talk shop we are over on the discord a lot i put my personal pokemon go friend code in there so if you want to get gifts from me literally from pogo <laughs> yeah right damn i'm in some there gifts directly from andrea herself and i raid a lot so <laughs> if you guys want to hang <laughs> it's good shit i'm level 46 right now i have 8 million XP and I need 18 million to level up to 47 and I'm losing my fucking mind. It's taking so long to grind this. You've been doing this literally since day one. Day fucking one because Pokemon is life. (laughs) I have two Pokemon tattoos. I have a Pikachu and a Magikarp because that's who I am as a person. And you know what? This is who I am as a person. So it is what it is. And if you haven't already listened to it this season, we have done the first two games in the Pokemon series as well. So red and blue and kind of green. Which is technically Gen 1, so we're going to say the first entry in the... Okay, I'm splitting hairs. That's not what this episode is about. (laughs) I'll take it back. But if you want to get down and dirty in the the nitty-gritty of that, ooh, I'm all about it. And then what's really great is that we started this season with a convention, and we're probably going to be starting next season with a convention as well. Oh, hell yeah. We are going to Level Up Expo in Las Vegas, February 17th through 19th, 2023. Oh, yes. So keep an eye on our Instagram and our Patreon to get updates on like what our booth number is going to be, where exactly we're going to be in those halls. So that way you can come out and give us a sweet high five. Yeah, we don't know yet. No. We, <laughs> I applied in the, again, like Chop Stop, I applied in the middle of the night fully. <laughs> I don't know if this will work, but let's see how it goes. And they accepted our application to be a part of the community booth program, which means that we can kind of just show up since we're not selling anything and we're just a part of the community, which is so fucking cool and awesome because we we just started Patreon. We are balling on a budget. You know, yeah. we're paying for this out of pocket. It costs a lot to run a website and do hosting and have the materials to produce the shows. So we are so grateful to the team at Level Up Expo for inviting us out and having us on the show floor and could not be more excited. Already working on cosplay for it. And we're super stoked to meet some of you in person. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. All right, well, enough (laughs) self-promotion. A little too indulgent for you. You know, the reason people are here is because we do the plot lore and more on these games. And today's game, you know, I said was a disaster piece at the Hmm. beginning because we started this season with Red Dead Redemption 2, which is, like, unquestionably a masterpiece of a video game. Oh, one of the best games ever created. Easily. And then, you know, if you've been following up on what's been going on in the world with cyberpunk, this (laughs) game was a disaster piece because (laughs) there is so much controversy. There was so much shit that went down just in terms of production of this game. Oh, yeah. And then there's the game itself. (laughs) I cannot believe you did this game. I can't believe I did it either. So Tom and I, you know, we are partners and we work together really well on, you know, I'm going to do this kind of game. I like doing this kind of game. You know, if you've noticed just in listening to the show, I love doing Horror games, Tom loves doing RPGs. You know, he's a little bit more of an old school gamer. I'm more into the the Steam generation. And it blew my mind that he was down to tackle this 
and Red Dead in the same season. Those are both huge open world campaigns that are crazy detailed, super intricate. And I was like, how the fuck are you going to do that? And he was like, I got this. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> well, you know, I want to keep pushing myself to do the harder and harder games because then it makes all the other ones so much easier to pull off. I thought you were going to say, because then they're done and I don't have to do them. <laughs> do you know how much fun I had making the Stray episode? Like, that was the most relaxing fucking game I've actually gotten to do on the show. <laughs> you said that, I think, when we were playing it. And maybe even in the episode, you're like, this is just a good game to wind down with at the end of a day. You know, just coming in, being a cat, knocking paint over. Oh, it's yeah. Fine. It was It was absolutely. And just in comparison to the other games I've had to do for this season, it was so... Just easygoing, relaxing, and I, I really enjoyed that one because this game stressed me the fuck out. <laughs> and I've Good. hinted and I've teased about this. Like, this game put me through some shit. <laughs> I have noticed a couple extra white hairs on you. You know, it's... uh, <laughs> We'll talk all about it because at the end of the day, I don't hate this game despite everything that is fucking wrong with it and everything it's put you through and everything it's put me through everything it's put other people through to be real like one of the things like i was kind of starting this episode thinking you know what i'm actually gonna be pretty positive about it mm -hmm. and then i started researching the shit that was going on behind the scenes fuck you guys that's it's hard to defend this game <laughs> in some points it's really hard because they did some really awful things and we are gonna get into all of it. I love that some games have a toxic fan base and this game is just toxic. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't blame the players for this. It's just the game itself. Yeah. I, and you know, I don't want to necessarily label anybody in particular as toxic, but there are some people that are going to come up in this story that are definitely not the good guys. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. Well, anyway, let's get started. So cyberpunk is not originally a video game. Mm. It is actually an adaptation of a pen and paper RPG series that originated in 1988 with the release of Cyberpunk 2013. Is a paper tabletop RPG like a Dungeons and Dragons situation? Yeah, it's going to have dice rolls. You're going to have a character sheet and you're going to add up like different attributes to your dice rolls in order to accomplish your goals. I got the sickest dice, by the way. They're white with blood splatter over them. They're so fucking good. And I've rolled like a handful of nat 20s with them. By the way, just to throw it out there, get oh. some cool dice. They work better. Oh, I love it. Because when we did last season's season finale, which was Disco Elysium, that also had a dice rolling component to it. And oh. when we were doing that episode, you had yet to start playing any tabletop RPGs. So you were like, I don't fucking know anything about dice rolls. <laughs> and now I'm a very aggressive bard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You started this show being like, I don't really play video games. I can't do shooters. I can't do the pew pews. <laughs> you know, it's a show about growth. It is. I I've had a really great character arc through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love that in 1988, the idea that 2013 was the distant future. You know, it's like back to the future. <laughs> they made it 2015 and shit like that, you know? Right. That's the year like LMFAO was out and shit. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Cyberpunk was created by a guy by the name of Mike Pondsmith. Pondsmith is a great last name. Yeah, no, it's a really good name. And it was released by his game production company, R. Talsorian Games. Also a great name. Oh, yeah, it's very good. They've created a whole bunch of different types of RPGs. They've done a whole bunch of tabletops. This is a very, very successful game. You know, it's not WotC, Wizards of the Coast. 
but it's like right below them. By the way, Watsy has one of the best teams to work with in all of licensing. Throwing it out there, I adore everyone at Watsy. They are good, hardworking, kind people. Yeah, when you were at Loot Crate, you would always talk about the people at Watsy as being some of the best and the people at Pokemon as being some of the best people to work with. Absolutely. Wonderful, on their shit, delightful to work with. Just to spread some love, because I'm sure we are not going to run into the same positivity as we get into the rest of this. <laughs> so just to put some good vibes out there so no one feels too weighed down. There are good people in the industry, I promise. <laughs> yeah, Mike Pondsmith, he's actually a very prolific gaming writer, and he even taught at DigiPen Gaming School for a while. Oh, shit. He, he shaped the minds that shaped Portal. Yeah, exactly. And he shaped the minds that actually shaped this game. I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, the game we're talking about. Go on. And Cyberpunk is very similar, like you said, to Dungeons and Dragons with the dice rolls, except instead of doing like a fantasy past setting, it's a sci-fi futuristic setting. And it's very much inspired by Blade Runner. Of course it is. Yeah, Blade Runner inspires everything. Honestly, I don't care for the movie very much. I know, blasphemy. But uh, the visuals in that movie are really impressive, and they've been the inspiration for what's like every single future city that's come since then. And since you mentioned it, Stray, obviously, took a lot of notes from the aesthetic of Blade Runner as well. It's just what the dystopian future is supposed to look like. Right? It like seems cliche by today's standards, but also it was the first at the time, so. Right. It was groundbreaking. Yeah. Anyway, it utilized a similar but simplified version of D&D's dice system. They only use a single D10 or 10-sided die, and then you just add a bonus to those rolls. Oh, that's easy. That's a good entry point. Yeah, and like we were talking about before, Disco Elysium, they used a very similar system. They just used two D6s, or what normies call just dice. Normies. Oh, my God. I told you I'm taking it back from that emo game episode. <laughs> I forgot I told you a normie for an entire, like, what, two hours? <laughs> because you didn't know who fucking the starting line was. Yeah, not just a, you know, anyway. <laughs> so they followed up Cyberpunk 2013 with Cyberpunk 2020 a few years later. They only moved the bar seven years? Seven years, That's right? That's it? That's stupid as fuck. <laughs> At least in Back to the Future, they did, what, a 30-year jump? Yeah. What the shit? Okay, go on. <laughs> no, just seven years later. <laughs> The length of one fucking length of academy at Hogwarts. Like, that's middle school and high school, and then we're, you know, you're on to a different... That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and there's a few different expansions and shit since then, and, like, they've done different versions, kind of like the way D&D has done it to bring in, like, a more of a larger audience, you know? Right. So, over the years, it did have a couple failed video game adaptations, but just because nobody could really nail down how to bring this world together. Oh, but they've tried. That's interesting. Yeah, Cyberpunk's different from, like, other RPGs in that it is an open-world RPG, the, the tabletop game itself. So, players create the stories. They just use the characters and mechanics that were created by Mike Pondsmith and his team to flesh out the world. So, they kind of play within this sandbox that has been created and... Find their own narrative. Sandbox is the perfect phrase to use for this. Yeah, absolutely. So cyberpunk is a sandbox world and the players just kind of exist within it. That's cool. You know, Polygon did a really great run through of cyberpunk. Uh, I believe it was a much more modern version of the tabletop RPG, but there is a really good one. It's got BDG in it. That little boy I like. Uh, <laughs> a lot of really fun talent from Polygon that I think I've thrown on in the background before. So if you want to see a good playthrough of those... The Polygon team is always so delightful and so charming. I would love to see them. 
And I actually want to take this time to shout out somebody we met at AmazingCon. Their name is Maz, and they are a moderator on a Cyberpunk Red livestream, right? Yeah, Maz is the shit. Maz was across the booth hall from us. Maz was one of the sweetest people we met. We got to hang out for the weekend. They were super cool, and they are super passionate about cyberpunk as an RPG. Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely wanted to say hi, Maz. Hi, Maz. Because, uh, yeah, they were seeing across the way because we were giving a glimpse of what was to come this season. So they saw... Cyberpunk 2077 was coming out this season as our finale, so they came over and was like, oh my god, I'm like really into cyberpunk, so just definitely wanted to give a special shout out. Yeah, you can find them on Instagram, Mazface, or I believe they're also on Twitch, probably also Mazface, M-A-Z-Z is how you spell Maz. Yeah. Maz is cool. I hope I see you at Level Up. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully we see you there. You were actually the one that told us about it, so. <laughs> so hopefully you're there. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's a really great restaurant. I've never eaten there. Same kind of energy. You better be at level up. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, back to the game. Enter CD Projekt Red. So CD Projekt Red is a Polish game company who were known for adapting franchises pretty well, having moderate success with The Witchers 1 and 2. And they were hard at work on the third in that installment at the time. Oh, yes. The Witcher series. Witcher 3, I have a couple friends who say it's their favorite game of all time. Yeah, uh, I don't agree, but that's totally fine for them. <laughs> I, I want to watch the show, but I'm intimidated because I haven't played any of the games, so I don't want it to all go over my head. But I want Henry Cavill to succeed at things. I feel like he keeps getting handed dumb shit. Right. And he's very <laughs> talented, and I want him to do well. Anyway, so there are fucking dick swingers with that kind of shit. Yeah, so CD Projekt Red announced Cyberpunk 2077 in the year 2012. Oh my god. This is three years before their soon-to-be hit The Witcher 3 would be released, and four years before their soon-to-be hit The Witcher 3 would be completed. I kind of wish they waited one more year to say Cyberpunk 2077 is coming during the year 2013 to kind of align with... The original Cyberpunk 2013. Right. Like, you were right there. Hold on for a couple more months and make it a full circle. That would have worked out. Absolutely. And I love that you did not pick up on the fact that I said The Witcher 3 was released three years later and then completed four years later. <laughs> I'm already stressed out by that. So I just wanted to focus on the symmetry before we get into the disaster. <laughs> yeah. Some people today may be surprised to remember or even find out that The Witcher 3 released as an unfinished disaster. Of a game. CD Projekt Red did that? No way. And it would remain so for over a year before the first expansion and patch fixed the game-breaking issues plaguing that title. Guys, Dead Space got a literal award from Sony because it was delivered two weeks completely debugged, ready to ship, fucking good to go. And then there's studios like this that are like, fuck it, maybe it'll work. Well, as we're about to find out, those who failed to learn from history's mistakes are doomed to repeat those failures. Those billion-dollar failures. The first official teaser trailer for Cyberpunk 2077 was released just one year later, in 2013. There it is. Three years before the first moment of actual production would occur on Cyberpunk. <gasps> no! What? Literally just the licensing is signed. Just the licensing is signed, and there is a teaser trailer. Holy sh- Oh, of what? It's actually really cool. So it shows a woman being shot at by the police, and these bullets are, like, ricocheting off her skin. She's kneeling on the ground. She's covered in blood. She's surrounded by bodies. 
and there's these two giant ass blades sticking out of her arm. The blades do did stick through at least. I know that that's still an element. Yeah, and the trailer ends with the words, coming when it's ready. Ugh. Oh no. Irony is a cruel, cruel bitch. I hope the listeners appreciate foreshadowing. <laughs> we were English majors. We learned how to do this. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> Oh, no. Between 2013 and 2016, story and concepts were developed, but nobody had started making an actual game yet. When you say that, is that just in terms of actually designing and drawing the game or no one like picked up a pen to write the script yet? Yeah, so they're designing the game, they're doing concept art, they're talking about what do they want the themes to be of the game, they're starting to develop story a little bit, they've created some characters. Oh my god, so they're literally just like, this would be cool, all right, good day. Let's but, all go to lunch. Yeah, but nobody's like done anything in a computer yet to create a game. Oh my god, it's all just managers and no one that's actually on the front lines doing shit. Yeah, and Ugh. in 2016, after the release of the first expansion of the patch for Witcher 3, CD Projekt Red studio president Adam Badowski took over as director of Cyberpunk 2077. And threw out just about everything and started over. No, in 2016? In 2016. Holy shit. So they are four years after the official announcement, like licenses are signed. They've talked to fucking the original creators of Cyberpunk and they're like, we're going to do this. And four fucking years later, three years after the original goal future date of what Cyberpunk was supposed to be set in, they're like, nah. Yeah. Start from scratch. <laughs> Go Mick, fuck yourself. Yeah, and when I say everything, I mean like the story's gone. The oh. gameplay style they were going for and even the perspective changed because it was originally going to be in third person. Holy shit. So last week we covered Until Dawn where they had a very similar switch. Right. But it still had the same core themes of being an American horror and they did recast people. They reworked scripts. They reworked gaming mechanics because they switched from the PS3 to the PS4 and took advantage of those capabilities, but they still knocked that shit out within two to three years. Yeah. And they, CD Projekt Red, sure shit didn't. <laughs> oh my God. Well, this resulted in several of the top developers from The Witcher 3 to part ways with the company. Because they were just over it? Yeah, I mean, they were working really hard already on Cyberpunk, and Badowski just threw out all their fucking work. That now, is insulting. Devil's Avocado. This was following the disaster release of The Witcher 3. So they were been over it. <laughs> well, you know, it kind of makes sense that he would no longer trust them if he's like, you guys fucked up The Witcher 3. Okay, yeah, you didn't deliver what we said we were going to deliver. We have... You know, sixty to hundred twenty dollar pre-orders. I'm sure there was also a larger package where he get like shirts and pins and shit. You know, they put a lot of people's money on the line for this. Yeah, well, as we're gonna find out, Badowski and other members of, of upper management were likely the problem, not the developers. It's rarely the developers that are slacking. It sounds like this is definitely a case of too many leaders and not enough people on the front lines, you know. Yeah, Ugh. and I was worried because I thought I was going to be referencing something way too often. However, finding this out really made me feel better in that <laughs> Badowski prays at the altar of Rockstar Games. Oh, honey. <laughs> and through development, he constantly referred to Grand Theft Auto V and eventually Red Dead Redemption 2 because that would release while they were making the game <laughs> as the bar they were attempting to clear in terms of quality. Yeah, everyone 
wants to make the next Red Dead. It's a perfect game. Everyone wants the next GTA 5. It is such a good game. They keep releasing it 10 years later. <laughs> They're still just fucking like, all right, every console gets one because it's a fucking perfect game. They're still releasing new packs and missions and storylines that you can do in online because it's perfect. Of course you want to strive for perfection, but you need to be grounded. Fucking, what's his name? Bukowski? Badowski. Badowski? Yeah. <sighs> Badowski, what are you doing? Well, here's the thing. Rockstar employs several thousand people spread across the entire globe, running well-organized teams with clear goals and priorities. Absolutely. There's, you know, the Housers were uh, based in London, so they Mm -hmm. do have the London studio. There is the Santa Monica studio that I think they do a lot of mocap and more talent-based things in. But yeah, they have groups all over the world because they're very talented and they're spread out. I'm sure there's even more remote employees now with the latest wave of remote work. Yeah. Well, CD Projekt Red wanted to do the same level of quality with 500 team members Mm. as pretty much one big team. Hey, dipshit. Half of which they hired during the process of actually making the game. So not even a lot of day one leaders who know the full story. They have to catch people up constantly as production's going on. Yeah. And I want to put this into perspective. So imagine you're doing a group project either for school or for work. Which team sounds like the better option? (laughs) Your teacher or boss assigns five other people to your team and says, your team is responsible for a small part of the whole project. Or your teacher or boss assigns 499 other people to your team and says, your team is responsible for every aspect of the entire project from start to finish. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) You know, at Rockstar, you could go and ask, which team is working on plants or buildings or, you know, sound design? And you could point to a group and be like, that's who's working on it. Yeah, instead of a full scramble. And at CD Projekt Red, the answer was, I'm sure someone's working on it. So for my lizard brain, Uh (laughs) Rockstar runs like the finale of Hell's Kitchen, where everything (laughs) is just running on board. Everyone's doing their own shit. They're focusing on what makes them strong. You know, you've got your stations. They're jamming their shit out. Right. And then CD Projekt Red runs like mm, a bad game of Overcooked, (laughs) where you're just screaming, throwing your controller, going, wash the fucking plates. (laughs) We are all running like chickens with our heads cut off. Fuck me. What a nightmare. Yeah, this insane organization process led to several developers all making the same fucking thing without ever knowing it. So not even like one scrum master who's like, hey, buddy. Why don't you focus on this? They're all just like, fucking, I want to do the dancing. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to do T poses. <laughs> I'm only doing T poses, and me and these 20 people are just doing T poses. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've seen some Red Dead background stuff where they're like, lead plant developer. And it's right. Just, it's like a botanist, basically, that's like, here's how all the plants are going to look. And then there's like eight developers that are like, shit, yeah, we're going to knock the shit out of these plants. Last season, we talked about the Assassin's Creed game that became important in history because it had the full-scale replica of the Cathedral of Notre Dame that they are actually using to help rebuild the Cathedral of Notre Dame after its fire. And now it's going to have places where you can jump off and do some stealth dives into France. That model was made by one fucking person. Yeah. And we know exactly who that person is. But over at CD Projekt Red, they were just kind of like, everybody try. Everybody try. 
Why is such an insane thing? And I am so stressed out. We haven't even started. We haven't even gotten to how the game got released. Oh my God. I'm going to drink. Yeah. I need to drink. <laughs> to those teams' credit, I mean, I'm sure they probably didn't make themselves more organized in that sense. It was just their bosses weren't helping them get in that organization, you know? Mess at the top. It's, it's trickle down messy. Oh, yeah. But there was one silver lining. Badowski said that overtime was not going to be required while making this game. Badowski's here for that 9 to 5 and clock out. Okay. Yeah, if you were to say, I don't want to work overtime, they would say that's fine. But for every hour of overtime you won't work is another hour someone who is willing to work overtime will have to complete. There it is. All right. I was thinking, you know, there are a lot of European mindsets that are a lot <laughs> more understanding of work-life balance. You know, there's a lot of places in Europe where you get like, a shit ton of weeks of PTO. There it is. Yeah, no, there was guilt tripping into working extra hours. Ugh. So yeah, overtime wasn't required. You only have to work overtime if you want to keep your job. What an asshole. It reminds me of this boss that I had that used to say, and if you don't like it, I'll promote you to customer. Like, that was a normal human thing to say. That's an insane fucking thing to say. Oh my god. And there were developers that said they worked 13 plus hour days for oh. weeks at a time. Oh, Marriages ended during the production of this game. Fuck. See... During production of Stray, a bunch of cats got adopted and found their forever homes. <laughs> there are other groups that do this right, you guys. Well, upper management was hoping for a little thing called Bioware magic. Okay. Bioware magic comes from gaming developer Bioware, makers of games such as the Mass Effect and Dragon Age series. Huge games. Yeah. Every game they produce, they say, seems like it's going to be an utter disaster and isn't working out up until about two months before release when things just quote-unquote magically come together. That's not how that... Oh, fuck no. To execs, it seems like magic because seemingly out of nowhere, a great game comes into existence. I hate them so much. I am so full of rage right now. Yeah, because to developers, it's just another bullshit term for crunch culture. Yeah. And this is the first time I've had to do this for a game. But I had to go to the review site Glassdoor.com to see what employees had to say about working at CD Projekt Red. The website where employees go and leave, like, anonymous reviews of how their employers treat their employees? Yeah. Oh, shit. At the time of this recording, they have a respectable 3.8 out of 5 stars. That's higher than I thought it would be. With 69% nice. of employees saying they approve of CEO Adam Badowski. Mm. Well, I went through the positive and negative reviews. And most of the positive ones are from members of upper management. There it is. The people who hate working for CD Projekt Red are not in upper management, and they hate upper management. <laughs> There's lots of hiring or promoting friends or frat brothers and promoting people that kiss the best ass rather than people who do their job well. Just everything wrong with what I want to say is corporate America, but CD Projekt Red is fucking Polish. <laughs> Oh, no, but they still fall victim to that Silicon Beach frat boy mentality of, like, homies help homies fuck everyone else. Yeah, it's just pure, unadulterated corpo bullshit. Corpo bullshit. Which the whole fucking thesis of this game is that corporations that operate like this fucking suck. Well, I can see where they got the inspiration. <laughs> 
You know, a lot of the times when somebody accuses, they are usually guilty of it. Yeah. You got one finger pointed out and four fingers pointing back or some shit. Yeah. Even the positive reviews, they say that the work commitment, pay, and benefits package are fucking garbage at every level. Oh, no. (laughs) So they're not even being compensated well. No. That's true. They're one of those companies that's like... We're not going to pay you competitively, but we have a ping pong table. <laughs> and you're like, is that going to help me feed my family? And they're like, ping pong. Ping pong. <laughs> yeah, one developer described making the game as trying to drive a train while the tracks were still being laid in front of you. Oh, what do we say in cannabis? Flying the plane while we're building it. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that one, actually. Oh. No, but, you know. I've heard that at at least two different cannabis companies I've worked at. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. Yeah. Ugh. Well, they weren't just messy and unethical at home. <laughs> they were messy and unethical in public as well. No way. In 2018, CD Projekt Red released the next teaser trailer for the game at that year's E3. So by this point, they've had the one teaser that's like, this game exists, game footage that didn't exist at all. Right. And the trailer was action-packed, showcasing flying cars, car chases, political assassinations, gang wars. It got people fucking amped. And the trailer wasn't all they released. They also dropped 48 minutes of the game itself. Oh, that's a lot. Featuring, yeah, the main character V and their partner Jackie in a full mission from early in the game, showcasing gameplay for the very first time. And 48 minutes is huge. I I feel like it's usually around the 20 minute mark that you get from teasers and early looks and shit. But we are years out from release and they're dropping a fucking like episode of Game of Thrones length shit. Yeah, they dropped a huge amount of fucking gameplay. And just to cover their asses, they had a watermark at the top of the screen that read, Work in progress does not represent the final look of the game. Which isn't unusual. That happens a lot. Right. And the graphics are fucking stunning. And it went on to showcase like the in-depth character creation screens, the skill tree system, the game's extreme use of nudity and sex, key locations. And the and they really showed off the game's location, Night City. Mm-hmm. They show how Night City is bustling with people, walking everywhere, there's streets full of cars, they're flying, they're driving, and there's a person commentating the gameplay footage, and they say that every NPC has a full day and night cycle, just like Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm. Now, he doesn't mention Red Dead 2. I am because the trailer dropped in 2018, right around the time Red Dead Redemption 2 released. You can see where the shots were fired. (laughs) Yeah, and it's what everybody was talking about was that full day and night cycle of the NPCs in Red Dead. So that Mm -hmm. was definitely what that comment was like directed towards. Totally. And the action showcased weapons and customization, and they showed a maxed out character wall running and dive bombing unsuspecting bad guys, then jacking into their heads and seeing like a full breakdown of the building blueprints and all the systems you can hack and anyone who has played this game (laughs) and has seen this trailer can tell you the same thing they were not lying when they said does not represent the final look of the game (laughs) the menus don't look or operate the way they showed guns fire differently (laughs) hacking is different npcs don't have a day and night cycle They have four fucking movement models total, and they walk in a fucking circle. I'm crying. The streets aren't bustling. Cars don't fly. You can't run on walls. There's no cutscenes showing your character, and your choices don't have the impact they said they would. Can you imagine just Dan Hauser sitting in a room watching this, like, sipping his drink, going... 
No, you didn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> Try it, me, bitch. It, it gets worse. <laughs> Here's why. The gameplay footage was a fake. Shut up. It does not contain any gameplay whatsoever. <gasps> no. They didn't have enough of the mechanics coded yet to have a playable version. The mechanics weren't fully coded? No, it was basically a computer animated vision of what they were planning to make using character and location models and animating them like they were making a cutscene in first person. So they basically did like a, a visual storyboard. Yeah. Oh my God. And they were like, yep, this is what we want to do. They pulled game programmers away from programming the actual game <gasps> to make this fucking movie of what they were hoping to actually make. This is the Theranos of video games. Oh my God, fucking right. <laughs> this is some Elizabeth Holmes shit going, yeah, it totally works. Don't ask questions. Shut up. Give me money. Here's the thing. Nobody who saw this knew it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, like you said, coming out of a Red Dead world, you're like, we can push the boundaries of what gameplay can be and what an immersive experience can be. Yeah, they were promising the most ambitious game ever made. And from what everyone was seeing, they were fucking delivering. I think Elizabeth Holmes could work at CD Projekt Red. <laughs> Just straight up. It, she, she's about to get sentenced, I think. <laughs> if she makes it not into prison, she could 100% work here. <laughs> she, she became a billionaire. She can get That's that fucking true. funding and like... Homeboy's gonna fire everyone again. If I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, I just assume none of these people work there anymore. But man, Theranos Project Red, let's fucking go. Well, just one year later. Oh no. At the next E3, 2019, they released another trailer. This time it played out as if it was a cutscene from the game. Okay. And what happens in this trailer is a huge spoiler for the game. So I'm not gonna talk about what happens in that, but it does end with the reveal. Mm. Of the character, Johnny Silverhand, making everyone in the audience go, whoa, because he was being played by and modeled after the breathtaking <laughs> Keanu Reeves. You're breathtaking. Oh, stop. No, you are. Is he here? <laughs> Is he in my head? No, but he was at the Xbox reveal of Cyberpunk 2077. That was one of the greatest gaming reveals and moments, though. I remember that happening. It was fucking delightful. It was one of the best kept secrets in gaming. Truly, to have a celebrity cameo for such a big title out of a big studio that shouldn't be around, frankly, because they keep <laughs> fucking up. But no, that's incredible. And it's fucking Keanu. He is working. <laughs> you know, he's he ha he was probably in development for the fourth Matrix. He'd done, you know, he's doing Ali Wong rom-coms, honey. He's fucking doing the Bill and Ted next part. You know, he wasn't a slump by any means. No, he'd be working. Yeah. He still looks so good. He's doing all the fucking John Wick movies. Like, right. he single-handedly is bringing out a franchise that's making people call to the Oscars for awards for stunt performers. That man is fucking changing shit. And, like, this reveal broke the internet on top of that, you know? Oh, absolutely. The breathtaking meme is fucking great. And it's so wholesome because he is just... He is breathtaking. And they actually turned that into a trophy in the game as well. Oh, that's so good. You're breathtaking? Yeah, there's one called You're Breathtaking. Oh, honey. How great is that? That's like the only good thing they've done. <laughs> so Keanu was there to announce the release date. In of person. April 16th, 2020. Next year. The following year. The following year. Just one year later in 2020. And we know how 2020 goes. <laughs> April of 2020 was a bad time. 
But here's the story of how they got Keanu involved first. Oh, yeah. Because like we said, he's working. He's busy. They asked him and he said, okay. That, that's it? That's really it. In all really? honesty, yeah. The character Johnny Silverhand is one from the RPG world. And they knew the game was going to have him be what they refer to as the co-protagonist. And they never said, oh, we need a celebrity for this character. It was more, they created this character and kept going, God, wouldn't it be cool if this was Keanu Reeves? Yeah, of course it would be cool. And that just worked? Yeah, they were starting to notice similarities between Johnny Silverhand and many of the characters that Keanu had played throughout his career, such as Johnny Mnemonic and Neo from The Matrix. And they were just like, let's swing for it. And they fucking hit a home run on casting? Yeah, they brought him in, showed him the game, probably showed him that fake fucking 48 minutes of <laughs> gameplay. And they were like, will you be in our game? And he's like, yeah, sure. This is how Elizabeth Holmes got Walgreens to carry Theranos. <laughs> <laughs> I am losing my fucking mind over here. And they did some mocap for the characters and for like the rest of the game. But it was just more to get like references, you know, so they, they would get them to walk. They'd get them to run. They'd get them to do like different things, leaning and sitting and that kind of shit. So he didn't have to do mocap for every single scene like Rockstar does with every single scene. They more did a library of assets that they were able to pull from and cut from and stuff. Yeah, and you'll notice Johnny leans a lot. In the same way. Yeah, he just leans against walls for most of the game, but that's fine. <laughs> it's Keanu. Who gives a shit? He's busy, like we said. Yeah, and they did voiceover in a studio. So yeah, it's, it's more that way. Okay. With Keanu Reeves now on board and the public aware of it, the hype was at a frenzied, all-time high, and the most evil words in gaming were plastered everywhere. Uh-oh. Pre-order today. No! Never pre-order a game! This game should be proof for fucking everybody. Never pre-order a game. I'm fucking dead serious. Like, I worked at GameStop back in the day even. You know that. And even back then when you needed a physical fucking disc... I can tell you as a former GameStop employee, you never needed to pre-order a single fucking game. <laughs> we always had enough. We never ran out. There was zero reason to pre-order. The only thing pre-ordering does is pay people for something they haven't fucking done yet. <laughs> but I really want the stickers. Here's the thing. When there's those pre-order bonuses or those kinds of shit, they eventually release them anyway, and you goddamn know it. <laughs> That's true. They end up in loot crates after all. Yeah, believe me, please, if you're listening to our show, never fucking pre-order any game ever. See, we provide more than just plot lore and more. We give you life <laughs> advice. Our Red Dead episode has a lot of marriage and relationship tips. And it's now true. we're just giving you some good financial advice. You know, check your credit score and make sure you don't pre-order games. But despite us and every publication in existence saying never fucking pre-order anything, people did anyway. Yeah. And time moves forward like a son of a bitch, and the people actually making the game were confused by the announced release date. <laughs> oh no, when you scare the staff. It's bad. Because based on literally every single projection by every single person making the game, they were on track for a third quarter 2022 release. Oh no. They started taking bets on how long it would be until it got delayed. Oh god. Because delayed it would become. <laughs> There it is. 
Now, COVID did give them a bit of an excuse. Absolutely. I think Last of Us Part 2 also benefited from... Not to say they benefited from COVID. <laughs> I apologize. I heard myself say it you didn't feel started right. started down one path. You're like, fuck, I'm on it now. Yeah, reverse, reverse, reverse. <laughs> but, you know, it did create an opportunity to reassess timelines. Yeah. Which is the business political way of saying, hey, that worked out. So they pushed it back a few months to September 17th. Of 2020? Of 2020. But they needed more time, and they pushed it back to November 19th. Just two more months? They're like, buy me 60 days. And then finally to December 10th. There it is. And that is eventually when it ultimately released. Okay, so December 10th, 2020. And this is still a year and a half earlier than the team said it would be. Yeah, and it's also eight years after the initial announcement so on the fan side they're like holy shit i've been waiting for so long like in that time span i went from a middle schooler to my first year in college like that's the time span of growth we're talking and then for the team internally they're like we are not fucking ready for this (laughs) and as these dates came and went it was becoming more and more clear that shit was going way wrong at cd project red oh no they started making weird announcements like the PS4 and Xbox One versions will be slightly downgraded. But also, the next-gen PS5 and the Xbox Series versions won't be true next versions until a vague while after release. A vague? Just the word while. It'll be a while. Yeah. And not that anyone could find either system anyway. I... <laughs> That's a whole ass other thing. But also, if you're gonna run it on PC... You need the fanciest, most expensive rig available if you want it to run at all. Like Daddy Terry Crews has to come down from his cloud and build the PC for you. Yeah, and in fact, that was the only version of the game that was delivered to reviewers prior to the game's launch. The PC version? Yeah. wow. Reviewers had to promise to play it on an RTX 3080 operated machine. They had to, like, in their fucking NDA, be like, yes, I promise I will run it on this specific fucking system. Yeah, and an RTX 3080 is an extremely high-end expensive graphics card that wasn't even fucking available due to crypto mining and resellers and is a whole fucking controversy in and of itself. Oh, shit. But that version of the game did run. And the reviewers came out saying this game was actually everything they promised, despite not being exactly what they expected. Huh. They also were not allowed to use any footage they recorded themselves and were instead required to use studio provided footage in their reviews. Guys, this is a red flag. (laughs) This is like if you're dating someone and they're like, we can't hang out during the week. You have to come to my place. I will never go to yours and I will never pick you up. You know, (laughs) like there's stipulations and that should be a red flag. But you're like, they're cute. Let's see where this goes. No, baby. Run. (laughs) Just fucking run. Yeah. So why all the rules? Because these guys were about to release an unfinished game onto the public to satisfy the ego of the managers at CD Projekt Red. Oh, my God. The game went live on December 10th, and the reaction was a hodgepodge of people not knowing what the fuck to think. Yeah, only 5% of the people that bought it could fucking play it. Yeah, high-end PC players said the game was good and with only, like, mildest of occasional glitches. So there were still glitches. Yeah, PS5 and the Xbox Series players said it was glitches fuck, but it was fine. And that's the nicest console imaginable at the time and brand new, fucking straight out the box. But PS4 and Xbox One players received an 
unplayable piece of shit. And I'm assuming that's a majority of players, too, because at the time, those consoles were the most widely available ways to access gaming. Oh, yeah. Nobody had a PS5 or Xbox Series system. You couldn't fucking get them yet. We, like, recently got the five. Yeah. It was so bad, CD Projekt Red had to issue an apology, (laughs) forcing Microsoft and Sony to, for the first time ever, offer refunds for anyone dissatisfied by the game. Oh my god. Which resulted, obviously, in class action lawsuits for frauding customers by releasing an unplayable game. Sony was so pissed, they removed it from the PlayStation Store entirely with the mandate it would not return until it was fixed. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Sony. Fucking saying, "Uh uh-uh, take this back to your room and don't come out until it's done. And it didn't get relisted for another nine months. Mm. Oh my god. And the game continued to be plagued with problems and controversies, dropping to as low as 6,000 concurrent players. Oh, shit. And honestly, for most games we do, we would have already gotten into the game by now, but this story keeps fucking going well after it got released. That's what's so fascinating. (laughs) It just still keeps going. And uh, Elizabeth Holmes is also being sued for defrauding customers. Just going to throw that out there one more time. I did not know (laughs) I would bring her up so much. I didn't either. I just watched the dropout and man, this rings true. But as we've learned, these guys at CD Projekt Red are, if anything... Ambitious as fuck. Ugh, so is Cave Johnson. And in 2021, announced massive additions to the cyberpunk world, including game expansions, TV shows, and even books. In mid-2022, they released patch 1.5, which would finally bring the PS5 and series versions up to next-gen status, adding many of the features they promised with the initial release of the game. Yay! In September 2022, their first piece of media outside the video game released. The Netflix-produced anime, Cyberpunk, Edge Runners. Oh, I've heard people actually enjoy that. Yeah, it received rave reviews from both anime and gaming fans alike. Okay. Yeah, it was thoughtful, violent, action-packed, they had fun characters, and it showcased the sprawling and detailed location of Night City. Very cool. And it was using like sound effects, locations, themes from the game as well. Nice. So that actually tied in and was an appropriate side piece. Yeah, and the last time a TV show was made from a property they made was the Netflix-produced The Witcher series, starring Henry Cavill and now Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> That's so sad, by the way. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird... I don't, I don't want to know why they had to uh, change that out. I mean, Henry Cavill's... Why wouldn't you want him in every franchise? He's an actual gamer. Like, he would be on set being like, nah, this is what actually happens in the lore. He fucking um actually his own production. <laughs> That's the kind of commitment you want from a performer, someone who genuinely... Anyway. I'm willing to bet that he just doesn't want any spoilers for the next Witcher game because he's going into season <laughs> four. And he's like, I played up to the third one. I don't want to know what happens in the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that for him. Right. <laughs> And when that show released, though, it brought a whole new audience to The Witcher 3 as a result. Mm -hmm. Well, this worked again with Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. Cyberpunk Edgerunners brought in a brand new audience, and they went from 6,000 people playing the game back up to over a million playing simultaneously on Steam alone. Concurrent on Steam? Yeah. That's fucking crazy. They're upwards in the 10 million people playing this game now. Holy shit, so that was worth the investment, I see you. Well, a lot of the problems that plagued it when it first came out are no longer an issue, like PlayStations are available. 
That's true. The RTX is actually replaced now with an, a bigger, better version. So the 3080s are ready now. The Xbox Series systems, they're available. You don't have these barriers to entry anymore. And patch 1.5 had fixed almost all of the issues that were keeping people from playing the game. You know, Q3 of 2022. <laughs> when the people actually making the game said it would be fucking done. Crazy how it works like that, huh? And I played pre and post patch 1.5 on PS5. So my experience is coming from those versions of the game. Yeah. And pre 1.5, I accidentally found a game breaking glitch at hour 45 and had to start over from the beginning. I remember that. I feel like I heard you yell just through the house. (laughs) Just a wail. So frustrating. Yeah, totally. It delayed the start of the season. It did. That's right. <laughs> You're like, this is going to be a beast. And I have to finish it, but I fucking can't. And I'm going to break the controller. And I was like, well, okay, first of all, put the controller down. Well, I heard 1.5 was coming. So I was like, I'm going to wait till that comes out. And then we'll see how this goes. And 1.5 wasn't perfect. Yeah. But it was still a vast improvement and made the game playable. Yeah, okay. It's still glitchy, but only one or two were game-breaking, and even those were rare. There you go. And all reports say that the one that I experienced is still there. And when I booted up my old save file recently, it was still unplayable. Oh, no. Oh. Now, to be fair to CD Projekt Red, a report has come out involving the quality control testing of the game. However, it still comes across as passing the buck. When it came to game testing to look for bugs, they did not keep those tests in-house. They outsourced to a company called Quantic Lab. Now, they are a small company, and they completely oversold their ability to perform. So they were a third-party quality assurance testing group. Yeah, they promised senior-level experienced testers. Instead, they hired new people with no experience to spread out the massive amount of work before them. Which is pretty common, you know, it's usually just some kid who's 19, likes video games, and is down to sit there and try and break a game for eight hours, fill out a log, and make minimum wage. You know, that's not a glamorous job by any means. Yeah, and like CD Projekt Red, they'd never taken on a project of this scale before. Oh, no, just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing. And the overall assumption at Quantic Lab was that CD Projekt Red knows what they're doing and they didn't really need to try that hard to break the game, which was literally their one job. No! So they missed a lot of the issues as they didn't push the game to its limits. Yikes. Again, this felt more like an excuse from CD Projekt Red because even post-patch 1.5, I experienced plenty of glitches and bugs and not just like glaring or game-breaking ones. Ugh. But they also didn't deliver the things that they said they would. (laughs) You're like, so at every turn, I'm very disappointed. Yeah, the branching narrative being the biggest miss, in my opinion. Okay. Because how the game ends is only decided in the final mission. Oh, we, you know, we love a branching narrative here. Yeah, right? We did Until Dawn last week. (laughs) Literally last week, we did Wolf Among Us this season. One of our favorite episodes that we've done is Heavy Rain. Fucking the David Cage, arguably, disaster piece. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's not like there's not ways to create a branching narrative where you kind of do the lazy way and say, all right, pick a door at the end. You know, there's a lot of really great examples of doing a cool branching narrative. Yeah, this game has five-ish endings. 
And in order to access all of the endings at the moment of choice that like lets you decide which direction you're going to go, mm-hmm. you need to complete some side missions in the main game. Yeah. So the decision that impacts your story is the same one over and over again. And it's just literally, do I want to do this mission or no? <laughs> That's so lazy. <laughs> and my biggest problem with this game at the end of the day is that it's just good enough no it's like a fast food burger to keep wanting to play it yeah it has so much to explore it has some outstanding cinematic sequences with brilliant heartbreaking moments Mm. it has fun action lots of room for customization and a variety of ways to complete missions it gives you freedom without making you limitless it has a fascinating original story and it has Keanu fucking Reeves. Oh my god. Oh, stop. What is he here? <laughs> but the problems are there. And even at just about two full years after release, it's still not glitch free and still isn't the game they said they were making. But damn it, it's pretty fucking fun. Oh my god. See, you're not selling me on it. <laughs> it's hard, I know, but. I don't want to play this game. Ugh. And there's still much more to come. I wanted to play this game when I saw trailers and stuff. I think I even said to you, like, that shit looks fucking fun as shit. Yeah. I am into this. And then the more that came out, I was like, nah. And then you inched closer and closer and ended up falling down the rabbit hole. And I was like, have fun. Yeah. I <laughs> I'm going to play Red Dead 2 again. All the way in. Yeah. Uh, next year, they are getting its only expansion. Maybe. Who knows? We know that they're not <laughs> very good at, you know, hitting dates. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. And a sequel has been announced at this time with no kind of release date window, like, at all. It's not coming. <laughs> I used to say that about this game. Do you remember when they kept pushing it back? I was like, this game's fake. It's it doesn't fucking exist. Yeah, yeah, you did. You had a full conspiracy theory. I did. It was just it, like Theranos. But you know what? I wasn't entirely off because they did show a fake fucking scene from the game. I mean, so. they did not deliver a game on the release day. <laughs> they did not. Oh my god. But I think that is enough backstory for the game. Let's find out what actually happened. Oh my god, we actually have to talk about the game now. Oh, we still have to go in and talk about the actual game itself. Holy shit, Johnny. No, we've had episodes that have ended by now. (laughs) If you want a short jammer, check out Tattletale. (laughs) This is for, hope you guys are on a road trip, fucking getting some work done, because you're in it for the long haul with this one, guys. Because Goombas, we're about to get into it. This is... Cyberpunk 2077. The game starts with your character creation screen. And while most games we would blow past this section, here is worth mentioning as they give you options that most games never have or would. Okay. You can do any combination of person you want. If you want to see what like all the genders outside of just male and female are, check out the character creation of this game and you'll get kind of an idea. Okay, so it's not it's a spectrum of what you can create for yourself. Yeah, and I'm not saying this to like belittle anyone or their process in, in life. I just mean like for some people, the idea of more than two genders is hard to grasp. Totally. <laughs> and I think this game could actually help at least a little bit to define some of those intricacies. Interesting. For example, I've already mentioned I play this game pre-patch 1.5, and during that run. I had to start over after 45 hours. (laughs) Take a shot every time he says that. Due to a glitch. In that run, 
I played what we would refer to as a cisgendered heterosexual male character. In my second run, I started as a cisgendered lesbian character, but I transitioned during my gameplay to a genderqueer female-presenting person with male genitalia and a couple bisexual relationships with both a cisgendered lesbian woman and a cisgendered straight man, neither of whom knew I had a penis until we were in the heat of the moment, and even then neither of them said anything about it. Well, it would be rude by that point. (laughs) It's not the crying game. (laughs) That's an old reference. That's a weird reference for this podcast. (laughs) Kids, don't Google that. I think the characters that I got in relationships with, like, I think they are both either strictly straight and the lesbian is strictly lesbian. But because I transitioned after having met them, the game itself just kind of didn't register me as being anything other than a cisgendered woman to these characters. Hmm. And it kind of ignored those changes and it just kind of went with it. To be crass, that means they can still finger you even though they kind of can't. Right. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, entirely. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. I, I, Fully aware that was a little graphic, but I think that's what Tom is alluding to. And fun side note for me, in researching these terms, I found out that the one for how I feel as a person in the real world is called a demiguy. Like a demigod like Moana? Yeah, exactly. No, no it is some... Maui. <laughs> yeah, Maui, yeah. <laughs> My bad. I am Maui. No, you're welcome. It's someone <laughs> who is in all senses a straight male but they reject most aspects that are considered like strictly male or masculine. You know, you learn something new every day. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, if you want, you can have a man's voice, a woman's face, a man's chest, and a woman's hoo-ha, or any combination of those body parts, and the game will let you be that person. Yeah, fuck gender roles. Do what you want. Yeah, and personally, I think in order to get the absolute best ending in the game, You need to be a cisgendered woman in a lesbian relationship with the one character they'll let you be in a lesbian relationship with. (laughs) You know, not a lot of options, but it does have the best outcome. There's not. I wish they did give you better options for your romantic involvements in this game. That is like one like real negative part to it. I like that you can sleep around. Yeah, you can sleep around a little bit. And they give the straight woman a lot more sexual partner options than they do any other version. Huh. Interesting. I just think they wanted to throw as many dudes at her as possible. It's kind of oh. annoying. You know, V's in their slut era. Can't <laughs> judge. <laughs> yeah, this character creation gives us our protagonist simply known as V. And the masculine voice is played by Irish actor Gavin Dre. There's not a lot of credits, with his largest being in that huge flop movie Valerian in the title with a thousand words. Oh, shit. Yeah, no one saw that. And remember, worships at the altar of Rockstar. So instead of a Roger Clark, they got a different Irish performer. Yeah, they hired an unknown Irish actor to play their lead character. (laughs) For the feminine voice V, they hired the multiple BAFTA award-winning voiceover actress. Oh, shit. Chirami Lay. Okay. She got her BAFTAs for Square Enix's Near Automata. Oh, damn. Yeah, she has over 300 anime dubs and video game credits to her name. So to play the same character, they got a woman who's wildly overqualified, multi-BAFTAs, fucking crazy hundreds of credits, and then an Irishman. Who had 24 credits to his name. Hardly any of them were anything you've ever heard of. 
Guys, I feel like it's not going to get better well, from here. <laughs> many, and myself and you included, have said that you can tell the fucking difference between <laughs> the seasoned veteran and the unknown. That's true. I did watch parts of your playthrough in male V and then female V, and the female V is my preferred vocal performance for sure. Yeah, and Gavin's fine. This is not to say anything bad about him. He didn't like make me hate V or anything. Yeah, it's it's not a heavy rain situation where you're like, I'm going to find this performer and actually kick them in the shins. <laughs> yeah, because I've completed most of the game with his version. Mm-hmm. But when I switched to Chirami's V... It was almost a completely different fucking game. I love her performance. Oh, her performance is nuanced and intricate. She's pulling off humor, horror, and hubris with ease. Mm. Much like Roger Clark in Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> so they got what they wanted just from the wrong actor. Yeah. <laughs> she had to carry so much weight of being yeah. both the fucking Arthur Morgan level performance and then her own personal level of performance <laughs> while this other dude also showed up. <laughs> he really much just showed up. Oh, Sorry, honey. Gavin. You did great. Gavin. You did fine. Is, so, is, is he the Gavin from Red He's the Red Gavin Dead? from Red Dead Redemption <laughs> That's too. where he left. <laughs> Have you seen Gavin? Have you seen Gavin? He's in Night City. <laughs> oh. Which also, let's bring up Night City real quick in the fact that in Disco Elysium, Fucking Kuno says that he was in Night City the, the night before. Which Shut up. Didn't, like I said in that episode, like, that's not a real place. He was playing fucking cyberpunk, you know, because <laughs> Disco Elysium was based off of a goddamn tabletop RPG. So that was just another fucking reference that I just didn't pick up at the time because I didn't know cyberpunk references yet. Like, good for you, Disco Elysium. Oh, that's so good. And they're another European studio. Yeah. Damn, that's good. Oh, no. I mean, the game's not good, but... The that's... game's fantastic and amazing. Oh, I'm talking about cyberpunk. Oh, okay. Excuse me. <laughs> I am not here to disparage the world of Disco Elysium. All right. I have full respect for the game. It is too heavy for me to play, but I respect the art style. I think the art is beautiful. I think that the mechanics are great. I am purely shit-talking cyberpunk. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, so with these two actors, this is also why this game is one of those ones where they have dialogue options, but when you select the dialogue option, they never say the thing that you picked. I hate that. I You gave me a very specific line that I could say, and then you don't say... They do that in some of the Telltale games, too. I ran into yeah. that a little bit with Wolf Among Us, where it's like, Bigby can say no, and then he'll be like, go fuck yourself, Colin, and you're like, no! <laughs> you put way too much sauce on that! Right. And... Well, the script allowed for each V actor to make the character their own. Oh, that's cool. And so they got to say their lines their way, which is why the choices don't always match the words verbatim. I love that, though. That that I can appreciate. Yeah. So they still convey the same messages and meanings. They just might not say the exact words. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have to pick our backstory. And we get one of three choices. Street Kid, Corpo, which is just short for corporate or nomad. And these only matter in regards to how you interact with different people. So there will be times when V would have knowledge based on one of those three backgrounds that unlocks like a dialogue option every now and then. Okay. But ultimately, it does not matter whatsoever what you select. So don't worry too much about it. No, it's really not going to matter because regardless of which you pick, it starts with V looking at themselves in the mirror, quitting that lifestyle for one reason or another. Immediately bailing on their backstory. <laughs> yeah, and those reasons aren't even going to come into play in the game. Oh, that's good. So it really 
does not matter which you pick. That's that's really funny. I'm not going to lie. Arguably, being a nomad results in the most fun opening section because you start far outside of Night City and you have to make your way towards it. Okay. That's it? Yeah. The other two, you start in Night City already. Okay. Since in this world, you're born into a group, you die in that group. Kind of like a dystopian caste system. You quitting your group means you're completely on your own. Okay. And being on your own means you need to essentially join the gig economy. <laughs> like you're just going to be an Uber driver now? No, you're going to be a mercenary. Oh, okay. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> like, what, you're going to fucking DoorDash in Night City? Yeah, so you take a job with a man named Jackie Wells, and you go to meet up with him. Jackie is hysterical. Yeah, Jackie's fucking cool. He's kind of a caricature of a Mexican-American who grew up in L.A. Yeah. Except he grew up in Night City. City's basically LA though, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say? It's future LA anyway. It's part of North California in this future version of the USA called the New United States. That's San Fernandoli's bullshit. Yeah, that kind of shit, yeah. And you guys need to smuggle an exotic animal. Oh. A real live iguana. Shut up. Just a lizard? Yeah, real animals are very rare now. Oh, okay. It's the not, world is shitty. It's not like a special lizard. It's literally just a lizard. Yeah, kind of. Again, like in Blade Runner. Remember in Blade Runner, everybody's pets were robots, actually, because real animals were so rare. Oh, that's right. And your mission goes sideways, and the two of you have to shoot your way out, and this whole section serves as a really good tutorial of the basic controls. For the lizard! And when you get to safety, Jackie admits he was going to screw you out of your cut of the money, but you proved yourself back there and saved his ass, so he's chosen to be honest with you. Oh, what a doll. Yeah, there's some honor amongst thieves. Not a lot. <laughs> he was trying to do that shit from the opening of the Dark Knight and kill you and take all the, the fucking loot. Yeah, well, they check the packaging together and they notice that there's a company name on the side of it called Arasaka. And V does not want to mess with it. Okay. And Jackie's like, whatever, crime is crime and maybe we'll get a big payday out of it. Hey, dipshit, we're criminals. Yeah, Arasaka is a corporation, or corpo, and they control pretty much everything now. They're a monopoly in Night City? Yeah, they're a corporatocracy, like, that's the the term for that is. Okay. Where it's basically the government is mostly being controlled by a company. Gotcha. And you and Jackie decide to split the money 50-50 regardless. Jackie asks V if they have anyone in Night City, and V explains they're officially on their own. And Jackie says it would be stupid to throw away your two's chemistry and you two become partners and best friends. Aww. It's hard to make friends as an adult. Yeah, and Jackie's so fun. Like, anybody would want to be Jackie's best friend. That's fun. And this kicks off really the only montage of the game. And it looks like it would have been crazy fun to play, too. (laughs) So you just get teased. (laughs) So you do one mission, and then you're immediately teased with other cool shit that you can't do. With a whole bunch of really awesome-looking missions that you don't get to play. And it's you and Jackie running around Night City, like, just doing crimes and making names for yourselves as grade-A mercs. Casual crime. And it shows off Night City. A radio announcer talks about Night City like you're, like, somebody who just landed and had never heard of Night City. Oh, that's annoying. You know, that's very kind of him. Yeah. And you dance and get in fights and meet people that will become important later on, get an apartment, and you look at yourself in the mirror like a whole lot. You know, just to show that time is passing. It's really the only way you get to see your character in the entire game outside of like when you're in the equipment menus and stuff. Oh, right, because it's first person. It's all first person. So the only way you ever get to see your character is 
in mirrors because there are no cutscenes in this game. Wouldn't it be sad if you were a vampire? Oh, <laughs> that would really you suck. You just can't see anything. But yeah, let's just get the bio shot out of the way that yes, all these scenes are going to play out in first person. Yay. We finally are back in control of V and it says six months later. Okay, so we just skipped half a year. <laughs> right? A whole lot of character cool. development. Yeah. And you and Jackie are in a car, and you're on the mission that they showed in that 48 minutes of fake gameplay in 2018. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. To be real, this mission does play out like in the fake gameplay, just nothing looks like what <laughs> you know the game actually looks like, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. So the mission itself is identical, but nothing looks right. In this mission, you're tasked with finding a missing person. It really is introducing us to some of the darkness this game has to offer, and it's a lot. Ooh. We're in a house with like dismembered people, and Jackie explains that they're the bodies of people basically addicted to body modifications. I mean, I have a lot of tattoos, but... Well, in Cyberpunk, you can basically become a full robotic android with enough modifications. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, you can replace every limb, even your eyes and skin, with metal and robotics. Yeah. So it's kind of like Nebula in the Avengers, how she talks about how whenever she and Gamora would fight and she'd fuck up, Thanos would go in and replace a body part of hers with something mechanical. Yeah, basically you can become Nebula from out of the Avengers. <laughs> but like for funsies, not in torture the way her dad did to her. Yeah, absolutely. Terrifying. Cool. And 95% of people have the ability to put basically small USB drives, what they call biochips, into their heads. What does that do? This allows them all sorts of upgrades in their lives. So you can turn their eyes into like augmented reality computer monitors. Oh, shit. It allows for facial recognition. So you can see like people's affiliations, police records, all sorts of stuff. Oh, that's crazy. And in order to install these things, you go to people called Ripper Docs. If you could have a Ripper Doc put a USB thing in your head, what would you want to see in other people or like do with it? It feels so invasive. I don't... <laughs> Fuck, I don't really know. Like, I knowing what I can do in this game, I don't think it would be ethical to do any of it. I would fully do it. <laughs> and I would want to be able to turn it on to, like, sleep mode to help myself go to sleep. I mean, it's basically Google goggles. Yeah, but, but my brain goes to, like, oh, but you could do a full blackout and, like, have it do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe some light ASMR sounds and just fall asleep super quick. That sounds awesome. Like, I'd want a meditation app in mine. There is another technology coming up later, I'll tell you, that I would prefer to use over all of these. Okay. So these Ripper Docs, they are basically the tattoo shop of this universe. Oh, more no. More so than like a surgical center. So they're really leaning into the body modification, like alternative shit. Yeah, and some are professional and clean, and some are back alley and dirty. Yeah, that, that's true for the tattoo scene and piercing scene as well. <laughs> and where V and Jackie are, it's not even a back alley one. This is an underground one. Oh, no. They're in, like, the most disgusting fucking place. And the person who was last being augmented clearly died on the table. <gasps> oh, my God. Like, it's goopy and shit? Yeah. This kind of place where you would go to get, like, stolen or illegal components installed. <laughs> like, it's a fence. <laughs> yeah, it's a fence ripper dock. Oh, no. 
So I have probably 150, 160 hours of tattoo work on me. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten tattooed in someone's kitchen. I would never do that. Like at this point, I should have some really bad ones. Oh, you know what? I did get tattooed on a convention floor. Yes, at we a both weed have. show. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I've only had my stuff done in real places. This is gross. No, no, that was pretty gross too. Yeah. Never mind. One of my most visible tattoos comes from that same convention. I'm gonna get off my high horse now. My <laughs> bad. I really thought I was saying something. Uh-uh, I'm trashy. Go on. And then what people can also do is kind of jack themselves into cyberspace with their augmentations that they have installed. They can go into space? Cyberspace. Like, onto the internet. It's like going into <sighs> VR or the Matrix, but a lot more direct. That South Park episode where they go into Facebook? And- yeah, very much <laughs> like that. No, that you're, you're not fucking wrong. It's like Tron oh, and shit. Yeah. Why aren't I wrong? I want to be wrong. <laughs> that was dumb as hell. Go on. The problem is doing this causes a human body to heat up to like over 110 degrees, which would kill you. You would love that. So in order to survive it, people have to submerge themselves in ice baths just to avoid the overheating, which I would hate. That's true. (laughs) I would love that. So you can see why it's treated more like heroin use and like this feels more like a drug dead than anything. I had a fever that went to 105 once and I genuinely thought I was hallucinating. Yeah. (laughs) And I probably was. (laughs) I think I was like 16 or 15 and my mom was like, just take a shower. You'll be fine. I was like, yeah, let me add hot water to this and refused to take me to the hospital. And I talked to her about it like a year ago and she was like, that's bad parenting. (laughs) (laughs) At least she admitted it. She's like, but you live though, right? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) But did you die? Yeah. (laughs) Give me that shit. (laughs) (sighs) Thanks, mom. Well, Jackie and V find a bunch of bathtubs of ice and bodies floating in them, and they're all unplugged and just kind of laying in there rotting. But they do find the person they're looking for, and she's just got like a fragment of life left in her. Mm. And she comes from extreme wealth, and when they get her outside, an emergency response chip that's kind of like implanted in her finds a signal and it calls the highest end ambulance available to your location and takes her away. Mm. The next day, V tells Jackie he's not feeling well. He feels like he may have gotten a computer virus from that shitty place they were at the night before when he like hacked in to like disarm their systems, you know? Okay, so V connected to the trash bag den. Yeah. <laughs> and is like, damn, not feeling great after that. So he wants to visit his Ripper Doc friend to see what's up. And that's a legit Ripper Doc. This isn't one of those creepy opium den Ripper Docs. No, this is like their personal friend Ripper Doc. Their homie Ripper Doc. Okay. We trust this guy. They consider him to be the best. Okay, cool. Jackie mentions that the job from the night before got you guys enough attention that one of the best fixers in town wants to meet you. What's a fixer? So fixers are the people who give mercenaries their jobs. Oh, okay. So like Angelo Bronte in Red Dead Redemption 2 comes to mind. And each fixer controls a territory and they decide who gets to perform jobs in those territories. Okay. It's also similar to Sister Margaret's from Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah, a lot like that. Issuing jobs out. Yeah. And the fixer that wants to meet you is named Dexter Deshaun. And he's the biggest, baddest, and best fixer in Night City. Okay. I love that they're called fixers, too. That's so badass. Right. Very mafia. You go to your Ripper doc, whose name is Vic, and he helps you get the virus out by replacing your eyeball. Ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, I don't like eyeball stuff. I it, hate eyeball it stuff. It grosses me. I'm, I'm literally squinting right now. I don't like it. Ugh. All right, we'll move past that. So yeah, after that, please. you head out, and a car pulls up. And Dexter Deshaun himself is in the back seat. 
In the flesh. And he tells V to get in. Just V? Yeah, just V. And he's a big, beefy black man with a golden right forearm that looks like it's from the Terminator. Oh, shit. That's cool. He tells you he has a job for you that requires you to break into Arasaka itself and steal a single biochip. In order to steal that chip, you need a special robot. And that robot is a spider crab-like robot the military recently had stolen from it by a gang called the Maelstrom. Dexter paid the Maelstrom for the robot, but the gang recently had a coup. And Dexter doesn't know much about the new leader, and certainly doesn't have a relationship with him like he did with its former leader, so he's not sure if the new one is going to uphold the payment that he gave. Mm. You need to go to the Maelstrom and get the robot back before you can do anything else. Okay, get the robot, then we got to break into Arasaka. Right. Cool. Dexter also agrees to set you up with a woman who was a security contractor for the military convoy that got ambushed by the Maelstrom. Mm. She doesn't really care about the robot. She's just pissed that Maelstrom got away with it. (laughs) She just wants justice. Yeah, you don't need to involve her, but you can if you want. Okay. If you do, she gives you a chip with enough money on it to buy the bot again, but the chip has a tracker so they can hunt them down later. Mm. Or you can just go in and say, Dexter Deshaun already paid, now give it to us. Yeah. And the Maelstrom are the type of people who go really extreme with their body mods. Okay. Some of them don't even have faces. They're just like a series of light bulbs. Oh shit, that's weird. And either one of your choices is going to result in a gunfight because they either refuse to give it to you if you don't pay again, or they find the tracker that's on that chip. Gotcha. So either way, they're like, go fuck yourself. And this is why choice doesn't fucking matter in this game. (laughs) It really just unlocks slightly different dialogue. Yeah, they both ended with the same fucking thing. (laughs) Oh, no. You just get to choose how it goes down. Oh, so it's the illusion of choice. It is, but I have to give this game credit where it's due because you get a lot of variety in how you complete these missions. Okay. You can go in stealthy, loud, violent, diplomatic. You can combine all of those things. You can use guns, swords, blades that come out of your arms, an electric whip that comes out of your wrists, grenades, your mind. (laughs) And you can set your skill tree so you can hack into people's heads from like afar and set them on fire, blind them, or eventually just straight kill them. Oh my god. You have the freedom that games like Grand Theft Auto V and Red Dead Redemption 2 never give you. And it's truly something this game does better. Because it's just not on rails is what I'm hearing. Yeah, you can go in. There's like, say there's a building you have to break into. There's like nine different ways to break into this building. Okay. And it's through different windows. You can go straight through the front door. You have all these different options. You can go in, like I said, loud, quietly. It's up to you. And there's so much that you can do with it. That's really cool. It is. And like I said, it did it better. This is like that one thing, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. V and Jackie steal the bot and set out to meet with Dexter Deshaun to plan how to get this experimental biochip out of Arasaka. He tells you to first meet with a woman named Evelyn Parker, who works as a futuristic sex worker. And they're different in this future in that some of them are called dolls. Oh, I don't like that. That feels icky off the bat. Honestly, the 12 people in the entire world familiar with the TV series Dollhouse will know exactly how this all works, because it is identical to that TV show. But for the rest of the Joss Whedon-hating world, (laughs) a doll can have a different personality uploaded into their head, and they can essentially be whoever you want them to be. 
Mm. And it's not a complete personality as it's used primarily in sex work, but it's enough to let a person believe the fantasy they're paying to have. Okay. And Evelyn works as both a doll as well as a traditional sex worker where okay. it's just you get to be yourself. So she can either be herself as a person or she can be like, I'm your fucking cousin. It- ah, that's where you went. <laughs> My brain was like teacher, like police officer who's like, oh, you've been bad. Oh, yeah. You went to like that dark web shit immediately. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking Gross. back to uh, Wolf Among Us with Ichabod Crane, like doing it with snow, you know, that I'm your employee. Very I'm- fucked shit like that. Yeah. Ew. She tells you that the chip is something called the Secure Your Soul program. Secure your soul? Yeah, it's a program Arasaka is attempting that will allow someone to transfer their mind into a computer chip. Oh, shit. The CEO of Arasaka's name is Saburo Arasaka. Cave Johnson. And he has a son named Yorinobu Arasaka. Junior. This is Cave Johnson. (laughs) Just trying to upload his fucking brain into the universe and he fucks up. Then he has GLaDOS do it. And now we have Portal. You know, we love a lunatic CEO (laughs) on this fucking show. And they keep popping up for very clear reasons. They're perfect antagonists. I gotta say, Saburo's gonna end up up there. Really? With some of the worst. Oh, shit. I'm excited. The son, Yorinobu, always hires Evelyn when he's in town. She says that Yorinobu is currently in town and he has the chip with him as he stole it from his dad with the intent to sell it to a competitor. He's like, dad, bad idea. (laughs) How about I bankroll the money and you get the fuck over yourself? Yeah, the son kind of like took his inheritance and went and started like a mini like uh, Yakuza clan and stuff on his own. He's just like fucking around rich boy style. Yeah, entirely. And your job is to steal it from his hotel room before he can sell it. And here we're introduced to a type of VR called a brain dance, or BD for short. Brain dance. Yeah, this is the one that I was saying before is like a technology I would be really into. Okay. I would really dig on this. What it lets you do is it lets you go inside someone's memory. Uh, what the fuck? It's kind of like the Ponsive from the Harry Potter universe mixed with a VR headset. What the fuck? Because you can't really travel outside the perspective of the memory, but you may be able to like hear or see something that they didn't notice the first time. (sighs) See, you shouldn't have that kind of power. Um, (laughs) But this very much reads like a lot of traditional detective exploration games where you're kind of set in a thing or you're in a memory and you can explore it. And sometimes it's like a frozen in time situation like Telltale did a pretty good job of doing that in their Batman series. Uh, Yeah. Shit like that. This is very much used for a lot of investigations, Mm -hmm. but most people use it for porn. There it is. And some use it to experience killing someone or even being killed themselves. Uh, There's something like that in Ready Player Two as well, isn't there? Yeah, very similar kind of thing. Okay. So how would you use this in your personal life? I mean, to me, it's just like having like a really cool VR experience, you know? For porn? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I feel like you would do that three times, get bored, and then go, I'm going to ride every roller coaster and then use it for roller coaster. Yeah. Getting to go on like rides all over the world without having to leave your fucking home. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. You would fully go hunting, you know? Yeah. (laughs) All sorts of cool shit. You know, I got 10 minutes to kill. I'm just going to go ride a roller coaster in Indonesia or some shit. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) 
some people would want to go see concerts of like people they've missed or like can't afford to go see. You're like, yeah, we're going to Knott's Berry Farm, bitches. <laughs> I got to ride Montezuma's Revenge. Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> yes. Well, an unknown someone hired Evelyn to make a BD of her next encounter with Yorinobu. Mm. She gives you the BD of her time with him in his suite so you can get a layout of it and figure out where the chip is hiding before actually breaking into it. In order to watch the brain dance, though, you need a headset. So Evelyn takes you to the brain dance editor the club she works for employs. A stunningly beautiful Latin punk princess named Judy Alvarez. <laughs> you love Judy. I fucking love Judy. If you're playing as female lesbian V, this is the one lesbian in the game you can actually get with if you play your cards right. <laughs> and if you do, she does go like full U-Haul lesbian and like <laughs> just hands you a key to her apartment is like mi casa, su casa, and you can go use her place as your personal apartment after that. That's right. She immediately is like, you live with me now. <laughs> yeah, entirely. I love that for her. <laughs> Yeah, but since romantic relationships aren't completely necessary to the successes of the game, I'm just kind of like mentioning the relationship possibilities. You're like, special shout out. Yeah, for now, you're here for business. You learn how to use the BDs, and you check out the suite and pinpoint where do you expect the chip to be hiding. Okay, that's kind of helpful. Yeah, it's super helpful. And Dexter Deshawn tells V and Jackie to meet him at a club called The Afterlife. It's the most elite mercenary bar in Night City. Like the Deadpool bar. This is like the actual Deadpool bar, but this is like <laughs> a fancy ass fucking nightclub. Oh yeah, and Deadpool is a trash dive bar yeah. in an alley. <laughs> no, this is like a high-end club. Cool. While in there, Jackie points out a woman named Rogue, who has been a fixer in Night City since before Dexter Deshawn was even born. She is the OG fixer, okay. Yeah, she's like the ultimate goal when it comes to who Jackie wants to work for someday. Okay. While waiting for Dexter, the bartender offers you a drink called a Johnny Silverhand. And drinks are named after local mercenaries who died in spectacular fashion during a mission. Very Deadpool. Yeah, Jackie gives the bartender his favorite drink for when he becomes big enough to get a drink named after him when he dies. Oh. Dexter summons V and Jackie and you go into a private room with him and there's another person in there named T-Bug. T-Bug has been Jackie and V's girl in the chair on missions for the last six months. Okay. But this is the first time that they've all actually met in person. Oh, <laughs> like fully Oracle, like in her computer world by herself, not interacting with anyone. Yeah, she's always jacked in. And in fact, when you're talking to her on the phone, you always get like a little image of the person you're talking to in the upper left hand part of the screen. Mm -hmm. Her eyes are always closed because she's always actually like jacked into her computer. She's like focused. And yeah. Shit. The four of you, you know, make your plan and you get right into action. Hell yeah. You board an Uber-like vehicle called a Delamain, which is run by a hyper-intelligent AI. Basically, this singular AI is every single one of his cars, and most of them work as a collective. Don't trust that. Yeah, more on the most of them later. After verifying your identities, Delamain informs you that you were given the Excelsior package, which Jackie says even has a combat mode if you were to come under attack. You could have the Uber shoot for you. Yeah, Dexter <laughs> Deshaun takes care of his people, you know? Honestly, that's fucking sick. 
And Jackie is living the fucking high life right now. He's like, hell yeah, this is great. Yeah, to him, like, the fancy gangsters take a chauffeured fancy car to a job. Oh, he's and, like, I'm murdering in style, bitches. Oh, yeah, he showed up in a fucking suit today. Oh, I love that for Jackie. <laughs> no, Jackie's great. He's just loving this fucking mission already. You guys get into the hotel posing as guests and manage to break into Yorinobu's suite using that robot you stole earlier, as well as a bunch of hacking and stealth. When you finally get inside, T-Bug says security on Arasaka's side is stronger than she expected, and that you two have to find the chip quickly because she's lost track of where Yorinobu went. You find the safe that's keeping the shard, and while you're hacking it, you see vehicles flying in the air and landing on the rooftop landing platform. Oh no. And I said before there are no flying cars, and when I say that, I mean for V. <laughs> Nothing you can play with, but the elite can. Yeah, wealthy NPCs have them, but nobody else does. That's a tease, honestly. Like, that's such trash. Yeah, it's kind of bullshit. Like, in GTA, you can just take whatever you want. In GTA Online, I have a fucking flying DeLorean. As you should. Oh, it's beautiful. I love that car. Do you remember when you took me on a date in GTA? I did. <laughs> it was very cute, guys. The shard is in a temperature-controlled briefcase, and you and Jackie grab it and try to head out, but you don't have enough time, as T-Bug says she found Yorinobu's signal, and he's coming up the elevator from the lobby. So now there's people coming from above and below. This being the penthouse suite, it has a fancy-as-fuck TV, and that fancy-as-fuck TV takes up an entire wall. Hell yeah. And this wall with the TV is a standalone wall in the middle of the suite, and it has a panel on the back side that can open up, and V and Jackie can, like, hide inside of it. In the TV? Yeah, in the TV, and they're able to see out of the TV, but nobody can see in. Jesus Christ. So Yoninobu steps off the elevator, and he's joined by a gigantic, and I mean like seven foot tall, robot. Oh shit. And remember I said the Maelstrom gang got like really overboard with their body mods? Right. This is a person who has gone to the furthest extreme science believes as possible. Like, are they even a person arguably anymore? <laughs> yeah, he's just a head left on this gigantic robot body. That's terrifying. And Jackie says that his name is Adam Smasher, and that he is a Night City legend for how many mercenaries he's killed. That sounds like a porn name. <laughs> I know, Adam Smasher entirely. Yeah. This game is fucking sexually driven, I'll tell you. It, it is, is a horny game. Horny as fuck. Last week's Until Dawn episode was pretty horny too, so that's just how we're ending the season. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it happens. T-Bug says she can't believe it, but Saburo Arasaka, the father of Yorinobu was the person who just landed on the roof. Oh shit, daddy's home. Yeah, they were expecting it to be the buyer of the chip. So Saburo is accompanied by a man who looks like he'd be like a Yakuza boss, except instead of like a full body tattoo, his body is like full robotics. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, not like Adam Smasher. He's very much still human. It just more looks like robotics over his skin. Is he like in a suit and like tucked up and like yeah. well put together like the Yakuza stereotypes are? Entirely. Yeah. No, he looks like a Yakuza boss. Honestly, sexy. That's a good look. I <laughs> I know they don't stand for great things. I mean, but this, it's very attractive. This guy's like 50s, maybe 60s. And you're not wrong. He is sexy. Yeah. He is a good looking fucking guy. He is Saburo's head of security and his name is Goro Takamura. 
Saburo makes Adam Smasher and Takamura leave the room so that the father and son can have a moment together to talk about Yorinobu's betrayal. Saburo questions why his son would sell their greatest achievement to some dumbass Westerners just for a few bucks. Hey, dipshit, why would you do this to me? They're fucking rich. He doesn't need the money. Yeah, he's been rich. Like, it's not going anywhere. He owns the fucking city. Well, Saburo says that this treason is too much even for him and that he doesn't believe he can ever forgive his son for this and that he is grateful that his mother didn't live to see him become such a piece of shit of a son. Well, this enrages Yorinobu and he tells his father not to worry. He'll never have to forgive him for anything ever again. Uh-oh. And he puts his hands around his father's throat until his father stops moving. Oh, shit. All while Jackie and V watch in fucking horror through the TV. Oh, my God. Yorinobu puts the hotel on lockdown, saying that his father had been poisoned. When Takamura returns, Yorinobu yells at him for failing his one duty of protecting the head of Arasaka. Oh, my God. And he had better not fail that duty again in the future, and Yorinobu, Takamura, and Adam Smasher all get on the elevator and leave the suite. Holy shit. As they leave, T-Bug says that the lockdown on the building just made things a lot harder, <laughs> but that she was able to unlock a door to the rooftop platform. She then goes, oh fuck, oh fuck, I've been made, and gives out a blood-curdling scream. <gasps> oh no. And both she and her line go dead. Oh, fuck. Remember the first person Jackie and V saved and how they had a premium insurance subscription that called an ambulance when it registered she was in trouble? Mm-hmm. Well, as Jackie and V are making their escape on the outside of the building, the trauma response team Saburo had attached to his biomonitor starts oh, no. to approach the building. Oh, no. And they see the two of you on the outside of the locked down building. <gasps> oh, fuck. Clearly running. And they fire on you. And you and Jackie jump off the building and crash through a glass ceiling below you into another part of it. Holy shit. When you and Jackie collect yourselves after the crash, you notice the briefcase is fucked. Oh, fuck. And the biochip inside is at risk of being ruined. Mm -hmm. The only thing to do now in order to keep it protected is slot it into Jackie's head for safekeeping until they can safely extract it later. (laughs) Jackie is bleeding and hurt pretty fucking badly. And he calls Delamaine. And tells him to make sure he's got a car ready and waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, Excelsior package and all. Yeah, totally. He's like, hey, you own all the Ubers. Can we have one, please? Well, you get to the parking garage and it's a fucking war zone. And they're after you particularly. <laughs> Yorinobu got fucking lucky. There happened to be two people to chase right after he killed his dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he's had everything handed to him in life, including an alibi for, <laughs> for when his, he killed his own father. Like, can you imagine this privilege? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Oh, man. No shit. Yeah. I never thought of it as privilege, but you're not wrong. <laughs> just freebies nonstop. He even gets an alibi. <laughs> yeah. Just handed to him. He doesn't have to work for anything. He's never had to work for anything, even an alibi for murder. Well, Delamaine pulls up and the two of you jump in and the car goes into attack mode and blasts its way out of the garage. <laughs> just as you get out, though, Adam Smasher lands in front of you. <laughs> And Delamain is like, nope, and flips a bitch, and V tells him to go to the Ripper Dock now. Yeah, reasonable. 
Well, Delamain says that the person who paid said that once you two are on board, he is not to alter his destination, even if one of you is about to die. Oh, shit. You comfort Jackie as he's struggling to breathe, telling him how the two of you are going to be Night City legends. He appreciates it, but he knows his time has come, and he takes the chip out of his head and puts it in yours, asking you to hold on to it for safekeeping and all. And he dies just as he puts the chip into the slot in your head. It's such a good thing that he already gave his, like, in-memoriam drink order to the bartenders. Girl, right? We arrive at Dexter's place, and Delamain says that part of the Excelsior package is the safe disposal of bodies should someone die while en route. Oh my god, it's a cleaner too? Oh yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? And you have a few choices on where to send him, and each will result in a different mission later in the game that has zero bearing on the rest of the story. Oh, But you say goodbye to your best friend and head up to see Dexter Deshaun. You get upstairs and Dexter is pissed as fuck. You made more noise than you were supposed to. Yeah, why the hell did you have to kill Saburo Arasaka? (laughs) Now you're all over the fucking news. Do you have a brain dance of this by any chance just to be like, hey, I didn't kill the most powerful guy in Night City? You know, the logic there is fucking on point. But at no point does anybody think to do a brain dance the entire fucking game. Oh, god damn it. No, I know. It's fucking horseshit. It's kind of like in Harry Potter with the pawn save where they're like, oh, Harry saw Voldemort return. Cool. Let's just take the memory out of his head and show everybody so they believe him. No, they didn't do that shit. It's the same thing here. You could have easily solved all of this with a brain dance, but we are never going to. So let's just ignore that. I'll go fuck myself. Sorry. Well, you explain to Dexter that it wasn't you who killed him. You just fucking saw it happen. With no evidence. Go on. No evidence, but you still have the shard and you tell him that it's inside your head. Dexter calms down at this and tells you, okay, go wash your face in the bathroom. You're fucking covered in blood. (laughs) And you really are. You are covered in blood and you wash up and you exit the bathroom just to get sucker punched by one of Dexter's boys. And you get knocked to the ground. Fuck. Dexter walks over to V, pulls out his gun, and shoots V in the face. Oh, shit. The screen goes black, and we get this, like, Terminator-style boot-up screen, and it says, critical system failure, fatal error, shut down. The screen fades to black. Title screen! Oh, go fuck yourself. Cyberpunk 2077. Because that's just the prologue, bitches. Oh my god. This game hasn't even started yet. Are you fucking serious? I'm so tired already. I know. There are much greater games that have already ended by now. (laughs) Hours wise, how far in is the title screen? Five, maybe? Oh my god. I said earlier this season we'd be getting into some long prologues. You could do all of Until Dawn in their prologue. The dozens of you that listened to the Psychonauts episode thought the tutorial prologue was long. <laughs> oh no. Cyberpunk was like, hold my bio shot. Oh my god. So the screen becomes a long hallway that ends in a door. And we're taken to a section titled, Interlude. We're in control of a character and a date appears on the screen. August 20th, 2023, at a place called The Hammer. As we approach a door, some asshole says, hey buddy, you can't go in there. And you grab him with your left arm, which you see is made entirely of metal. 
and shove him up against the wall with a mirror on it. And you can see the reflection of a person who is not V, but a different person. And that person is definitely a man. And if you live on planet Earth, you recognize this man as Keanu Reeves. Yay, Daddy Keanu. If you don't live on Earth, it's just some dude. You go through the door and you see a stage with most of a band on it playing music. You join them on the stage, grab the mic with a gun in your hand for whatever reason. That's fucking cool. And say, I'm here tonight to say goodbye to all of you. Then you pick up your guitar and rock the fuck out of that audience. Are you good? Oh yeah, you're really good because okay. you are legendary frontman of the world famous band Samurai. Wouldn't it be so good if you were trash? <laughs> if you just got up there and fucking sucked. No, Johnny Silverhand is like considered one of the greatest rock gods of all time. Like, I get that it's Keanu and he can truly do no wrong, but it would be so funny if he was just absolute garbage. <laughs> that would be really funny, actually. It cuts away to one of his band members trying to talk Johnny out of quitting the band, saying he doesn't have to do this, but Johnny tells him to fuck off. He goes outside to find a helicopter, and that woman we saw in the afterlife earlier, Rogue, just much younger and in full rocker girl attire. Hell yeah, punk rock rogue. The helicopter flies over our Sokka Tower and looks like it's about to land when a bunch of security starts firing on the helicopter. Johnny grabs a machine gun. Hell yeah. And starts firing down on them, killing them all. And the helicopter lands and Rogue asks Johnny if he remembers the plan. Johnny says he needs to get the payload on the elevator, arm it, let gravity do the rest, and then get the fuck off the building before it comes crumbling down. Hell yeah. You have to shoot your way in, and as Johnny, you're unstoppable, basically. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Johnny arms the bomb, but tells Rogue he has something he needs to upload into their system before you go. She's pissed, but says he has four minutes. While uploading, a TV turns on, and the news is talking about the heist you're in the middle of pulling. <laughs> Wait, that's really funny. Just like live footage of you. Yeah, basically, and it says that Johnny released a manifesto against Arasaka, which is like a monument to corporate colonialism. After the upload completes, Rogue tells Johnny to get his ass to the roof before the whole place explodes. <laughs> You're gonna die, move. And just as Johnny gets the door to the stairwell that leads to the roof, the door blows up at his touch and he gets thrown back a dozen yards. Oh, shit. Johnny panics because Adam Smasher comes stomping through the door. That big son of a bitch? Well, he's not the big robot we saw in Yoronobu's office. He was still, like, mostly human at this time with just, like, a couple robotic parts. So we're, like, 50 years prior? Because it's 77 is present time, quote-unquote, and right now we're in 23? Correct, yeah. Okay. Johnny makes it to the helicopter and grabs Rogue's arm as the helicopter takes off, but Johnny gets knocked off it from some gunfire and Adam Smasher comes back into view as Johnny lays on the floor of the roof watching the helicopter fly off. Adam Smasher walks over and says, told you I'd end you someday, and he shoots Johnny in the face. That son of a bitch. And Johnny rolls over, and it fades to black. People keep getting shot in the face. Just continually, right? That's how we end every chapter of this game, is someone gets shot in the face. Well, Johnny actually comes too, and he's tied up to a gurney, and he's at the base of Arasaka Tower looking up at it, as it's coming crumbling down, burning and blown up. Hell yeah. But he hears a voice say, yes, he's alive. We'll bring him to the lab immediately. Oh no. And he passes out again. He comes to once more being interrogated, being asked about his accomplices, and Johnny refuses to speak. 
and then an old man walks in the room. A younger, but still super old, Saburo Arasaka. Saburo has a woman strap a device to Johnny's head. From where they're sitting, they can see Arasaka Tower burning to the ground in the distance. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, and the woman tells Johnny that her husband just died in that tower. Oh. But that she pities Johnny for what she's about to do to him. Oh my god, that's fucking terrifying. Because there are some fates worse than death. She activates whatever it is that she puts onto Johnny and text appears saying, Soul Killer Primed. <laughs> Commencing engram transfer. As soon as it finishes, Johnny goes black. A version of Arasaka Tower fades in around us, but it is very digital. They use the same animation style as the BDs to kind of indicate this is not the real world, but a digital one. Okay, so it feels a little brain dance atmosphere Yeah, and we walk around, and we can see Johnny leaning against railings and walls. Oh. And as you approach him, he kind of disappears, but he's leading you back to the room where he did his uploading. Okay. When you reach the upload point, Johnny stops disappearing, and you touch his shoulder. But he turns around and says, who are you? <laughs> the screen goes black again. And we get another Terminator-style black screen with red text saying, reboot in progress, while different systems come back online. The world comes back into focus, and we are once again in control of V. And we are in a landfill, covered in trash. Oh, they threw you away? Threw us in the fucking trash. Oh my god, are you fully thinking of the Detroit Become Human sequence? Entirely! <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Yes! Because okay. This is not really a spoiler, it happens in absolutely, like, first act, like, this is your intro to a character. Yeah. There's a, do they refer to them as androids, or is it a different terminology in Detroit Become Human? I believe it's androids. I think it's androids, yeah. Yeah, there's an android, it's the stupid gorgeous Jesse Williams. <laughs> he's so beautiful, like, he's unreasonably beautiful and he's an android that gets thrown away and you wake up in a dump and you have to like find your eyes and shit and you're just in a dump full of other discarded androids fully that's all i saw in my head when you described that you're not far off because v crawls their way out and is like struggling to move oh, poor baby v but then dexter to sean comes around a corner of the junkyard he's the reason you're there what the fuck and he's not alone you collapse at the sight of them and come to again being dragged by Dexter. Oh. And the other person that is with him is Goru Takamura. Takamura! The uh, Yakuza-looking guy. Yeah, sexy. Yeah, the head of Arasaka security. Dexter says he kept his end of the deal and brought him to the body of the guy that killed his boss. Oh. Takamura draws his gun and blows Dexter's brains out the back of his skull. Oh, shit! He realizes V is still alive. And loads V into the car, calling Yorinobu as he does, telling him that his father's killer has been bound and that he's bringing him to him. Oh my god, so the son was like, find who did this. Find that person who's my alibi. <laughs> well, on your ride to Arasaka Tower, you get attacked by a group sent by the people that wanted to buy the chip off Yorinobu. They saw it as kind of a free chance to get the chip. Yeah. You help Takamura get away, but you both get super fucked up in the process, and Takamura asks if you know a Ripper Dock nearby. V tells him to go to Vic, the Ripper Dock from before. V still has Excelsior status with Delamain, so you call a car to come take you, but pass out, and Takamura does, like, emergency surgery in the back of the cab with the Delamain AI giving him, like, instructions on how to keep V alive long enough to get to Vic. Oh my god! 
Vic, of course, saves both your asses. And when V comes to, your visuals are different. Honestly, Vic is the shit. Yeah, Vic's awesome. There's nothing wrong with Vic. I love Vic. There's vertical lines everywhere, almost like you're seeing a digital world, but it's definitely the real world. Hmm. And there's this noise, and it's like this echo sound that accompanies it, almost like someone is having trouble focusing on a sound. Okay. But you eventually focus, and Vic asks how V is feeling. V describes the visuals and explains how they hallucinated being Johnny Silverhand, and how they performed in a concert and then blew up Arasaka Tower? And Vic goes, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Unflappable Vic over here. Just like, yeah, totally. That's reasonable. You should probably also drink some water. Uh, My guy, you need to backtrack a little bit and give some context. He goes, those were memories, real ones, from the day Johnny Silverhand died. Johnny Silverhand's entire personality, or as they call it, engram, is uploaded onto the chip that V put in their head. GLaDOS. Yeah, this is the first and only chip of its kind that any of them have ever heard of. Wow. Vic has no fucking clue how to remove the chip now because V and Johnny's minds have kind of merged into one now. And if you pull it out, you're kind of lobotomizing V, right? Because it's connected into their brain. And V's sitting there like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's a lot to wake up to. You woke up in trash. You have to go to the doctor. You've been shot up. It's a day in the life of Frank Reynolds, but in like the worst possible way. Yeah, Vic says if he removes the chip, it's gonna kill V, as part of V has merged with the chip at this point. Right. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Not only that... Johnny Silverhand's personality is slowly taking over V's brain, and it will eventually just replace V entirely. <gasps> like a parasite virus situation? Yeah, so it's complicated. But when V got shot by Dexter Deshawn, V died. The chip saw a brain that was empty, and it began uploading Johnny's personality onto that brain. Oh my god. The chip shocked V's body back to life and, in turn, revived V back to life as well. Oh my, because it, like, set off all the neurons and shit, right? Yeah, which resulted in two people residing in one body. Oh my god. With the invading person slowly taking over. That's fucking wild. And, like, it's even more complicated on the back end than it is to explain, and Vic has no fucking clue what to do. And it's just like, I'm sorry, V, you've basically got a couple weeks to live. Good luck. What the fuck? I didn't realize this would be terminal. Yeah. So we're just starting with the terminal disease. Holy shit. Before you go, Vic's assistant and Jackie's now former girlfriend, Misty, oh. gives you some pills. One set is a red pill, and it will calm the side effects of the chip. The other is a blue pill. And it will ramp up the side effects of the chip if, for whatever reason, V would want to do that. Well, Neo, which will you take? <laughs> yeah, they know what they're fucking doing here. <laughs> it's the subtlety for me. Yeah, V makes it back to their apartment and goes to sleep. And when they wake up, Johnny Silverhand is standing in the living room <gasps> saying he needs to get out and he'll kill anyone he needs to, including you. And he's kind of glitching all over the place. He disappears, reappears around the room. And yeah, it's kind of like a glitch in the Matrix. It's like a digital ghost just like appearing. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And V tries to leave the room 
and Johnny appears in front of V and knocks them to the ground. Oh, shit. Okay, so it's not like a ghost where you can walk through them. You're truly interacting with Johnny. A little bit. Yeah, this is really the only time V and Johnny get physical with each other, though. Okay. From there, Johnny and V's movement start to mirror one another, and they both get freaked out by it. And V's like, that's it. I'm taking a red pill. Make Johnny go away. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking red pillars. <laughs> and it makes V pass out. And when V wakes up, the game officially begins. Oh, my God. <sighs> that was a lot, right? So now we can start the game. Now we can start the game. V can go off and do whatever the fuck they want now in Night City. And to this game's credit, there's a ton of things to do. Because much like a Rockstar game, there are side missions, main story missions, random encounters, and tons of collectibles to find, all filled with pop culture references galore. Oh, I love that. And like, we're already this far in, so believe me, you want me to just stick to the main story because this game can push a hundred hours <laughs> to achieve a full completion of this game. And even then, that's going to be for like one play style. You can play this entire game with a different playstyle or gender, and it will change up the game significantly enough to make it worth the effort. Honestly, great, but yeah, definitely do the uh, abridged version. Please. Yeah, I'm going to make it a lot shorter, don't worry, because we're <laughs> already a few hours into this. <laughs> yeah, I might need a snack break. You go around to different parts of Night City, and there are fixers in each different zone that have jobs for you to complete, and as you complete the jobs, you gain street cred and build a name for yourself as a merc worth knowing. All the while, Johnny Silverhand will be trying to take over V's body and will occasionally cause you to faint or cough up blood or he'll just show up and bother you or help you. It really just depends on how he's feeling. <laughs> what a fucker. Because he's not like there in the real world. Only V can see him. And he always has like these like I keep saying it, but it's, it's true. They're, they're matrix lines coming off his body. And I really expected to like Johnny Silverhand because, you know, Keanu Reeves. Oh, absolutely. He's the most charming man alive. Johnny Silverhand's a fucking dick. <laughs> oh, no, because they said co-protagonist, I think, was the term you used. Yeah. So he's kind of a dickhead protagonist, anti-protagonist. Yeah. Not necessarily an antagonist, but potentially because he's kind of a parasite. Like, what's happening? Because V and Johnny don't fucking get along, at least at first, at all. All. Would you be friends with that guy that like accidentally is taking over your brain? The mooch? No. The mooch? Yeah, because on my first playthrough, I treated Johnny pretty poorly because I didn't like or trust him. Probably because of Bioshock. <laughs> You're like, this is an Atlas situation. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. But my second playthrough, I was a bit more kind towards Johnny. And you actually get a much more nuanced and complex performance out of Keanu if you do. Okay. That's interesting. Also, initially, Johnny Silverhand was only supposed to appear in story missions. But Keanu fucking loved playing him so much, he asked to have him, like, get written into all the side missions as well. Oh, that's cool. That's commitment. Hell yeah, Keanu. Yeah, even if it's just a shit talk or make observations, he just wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> just to come in and be like, hey, fuck you, and then dip. He's very GLaDOS in that. I do appreciate that. I know they're not doing it, but can you imagine if he and GLaDOS were just, like, a compilation of them shit-talking you while you solve puzzles. That's all I want. Hold on to that thought. Really? Regardless. What? Johnny being inside of V is bad, as he is <laughs> slowly taking over V's body. Core concept, this is not good. And it's whether Johnny wants to or not. He really has no control over it. Right, it's not really his fault. No, he got fucking, like, body-jacked, basically. His brain was just 
they stole it. Someone else put this into V. Like, V wasn't seeking this situation out by any no. means. Well, Takamura calls V and asks to meet. Turns out, Yorinobu fired Takamura due to his failure to keep Saburo alive. Oh, that son of a bitch. And Takamura wants to clear his own name because he finds it hard to believe that he failed so completely. Yeah, and he, he made it so high up in the ranks, like, to lose all of that is fucking tragic yeah and v explains to takamura what really went down in the suite that night and takamura wants to team up with v to take down yorinobu now which could all be solved with a brain dance which they established prior to this situation happening like the way they lay it out it makes it very clear what the narrative should have gone with. sorry stop trying to shove logic into this <sighs> i'm sorry well hopefully in the process they can figure out how to remove the chip without killing v Cool. So Takamura's like, by the way, we can kind of find a mutual good way to fix this. Yeah, he says that if we can prove Yorinobu killed his father, then the corporation Arasaka is going to thank V by removing the chip. Yeah, totally. Because, like, you're the hero. You solve the crime. Yeah, and Takamura thinks that he can gain the trust of Yorinobu's sister, Hanako Arasaka, as she and her brother have never gotten along. I love the name Hanako. Hanako's a beautiful name. So pretty. Takamura tried hunting down the guy who invented the chip, a man named Anders Hellman, but he quit Arasaka shortly after finding out Yorinobu stole it. Ooh. And he's been missing ever since. Hmm. He also kept getting shut down by Rogue at the afterlife because she thinks Takamura killed Saburo. Oh, so this propaganda's really fucking up Takamura. <laughs> yeah, he's just like... I need to get this fixed. I need to clear my name. And this person, V, seems to be the only person that can do that. Yeah, like, even the rival crime bosses are looking at me funny. Like, this is not a good look. Well, Johnny and V talk about it, and Johnny wants V to go talk to Rogue because they go way back, and she was there the night that he died. He's like, that's my girl. And you're like, yeah, but now she's like the leader of the underground. <laughs> yeah. And you get to Rogue and she's arguing with some stunning olive skinned brunette that ends up storming off in anger because whatever Rogue did to her caused her to lose everything. Oh, no. We'll see more of her later. Rogue is like, bitch, Dexter, T-Bug, Jackie. They're all dead from the same mission you walked away from. You know how bad that looks? <laughs> so <laughs> Rogue is keeping it 100 and is like, babe, the optics are bad on this. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And Johnny's like, fucking Rogue watched me die at Arasaka Tower. Reminder of that shit. Oh, God. And Rogue likes the balls on you for calling her the fuck out. And she agrees to help find Anders Hellman for a price. Okay. And the money system in cyberpunk is called the Euro Dollar or Eddie's for short. Oh, I hate that. I gotta give it credit. It's actually one of the most fair monetary systems I've seen in a game. Okay. Because there's reasonable increases in costs and rewards as you progress through the game. Can we talk about my favorite in-world currency moment that's happening right now? Please. In Overwatch 2, with the oh, keychain that is... <gasps> oh, this <laughs> Can is Can you explain bad. this? Actually, I think you, ha you have the better specs on this. You explain it to me, and I... It lives rent-free in my head. Well, Overwatch 2 wants to join the ranks of, you know, like a Call of Duty or any of the other shooters that are out there right now. Any EA title. And they want to add as many microtransactions to the fucking game as humanly possible. EA. And one thing that they released is a keychain of a little character they call Pachimari. He's like a little onion character with a smiley face. Hmm. 
And what you can do is you can purchase this little digital keychain for your digital gun for one of your characters. And the cost of that digital keychain is seven US dollars in real currency. To have it on your character in just Overwatch 2, because Overwatch 1 doesn't exist anymore. Correct. On the Blizzard store. The merch store, right? The merch store, official Blizzard merch store, you can buy an actual, physical, real-life Pachimari keychain for $5. (laughs) It's cheaper to buy it in real life than it is for your fucking game. It's the most absurd fucking thing. I love it so much. I apologize for the diversion. It's just one of the most insane gaming things that's happening right now, and I love it. It is, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is very much relevant (laughs) and it's fucking infuriating. Oh, no. But did you know that when building a game, it is one person's sole job to figure out the currency system of a game? There's like one fucking Alexander Hamilton figuring out the entire banking system and shit. Yeah, there are people who specialize in game currency creation. It's why in a lot of games, the script will never use a definitive number when discussing money because during the writing phase, the economic system is usually not built out yet. So they always just use a vague reference to money, like a ton of cash or a lot of money in the script. Huh. Interesting. I just found that fascinating about currency in games. I've never thought about it. And, you know, considering how CD Projekt Red organized their teams, probably no one worked on it until the last three weeks. Then they went, oh, God damn it. We have to figure out the entire finance system. You're probably not far off on that. (laughs) Anyway, that sex worker from before, Evelyn Parker, seemed to know a lot about the chip when you were planning to steal it. So V wants to talk with her to see if she knows anything about removing it. You go to the club where she works and talk with Judy, who says that Evelyn has been missing since your little botched-ass mission, and that her only lead is a dollhouse called Clouds. Oh, shit. Where she sometimes go to work when she needs extra money. As being a doll is definitely less desirable than being a regular sex worker. Right, because you kind of lose yourself in being a doll, I'm guessing. Yeah, when you're in a doll state, you have zero control. Ah, that's scary. Yeah, there's a chance someone can fuck with you or even kill you while you're in that state. V goes to Clouds, and Evelyn isn't working, but they still want to talk with another doll to see if they know anything about where she might have gone. You can pick a male or female doll, and when I played, the female doll session was one of the most hauntingly beautiful scenes I've ever seen. Oh, shit. Like, there's no sex. It's all spoken, but, like, the way they talk to you and the way they make you feel, it's, it's truly best experienced, and it had me... Fully engaged for the entire scene. Wow, that's beautiful. But as I said, you're not there for sex. You're there for information. Before your session, you're given a safe word. And once you use it, the doll deactivates and they become a normal person again. Oh, so they kind of snap out of it. Yeah. And once they come out of it, V asks them about Evelyn. The doll says they don't know Evelyn personally, but another employee with a really awesome name is close friends with her. And you can find that doll named Tom. In the VIP lounge. Oh, go to hell. I was so excited. (laughs) You should have been. Hmm. Tom says he tried calling Evelyn a few times, but that the head of the dollhouse, a man named Mr. Forrest, but everyone just calls him Woodman. Nobody really knows why they call him that. You get to his office and find out that Evelyn has been sold off in a blank doll state to a ripper doc named Fingers. Fingers? Ew. Oh, he is gross, too. It sounds gross. 
Well, the reason why is she gave up client information with that whole Arasaka catastrophe. She needed to be handled. This is the plot of The Wolf Among Us. A little bit. (laughs) On your way to Finger's office, V has one of their coughing fits and needs to sit down. This is tuberculosis. Yeah, no, entirely. They're not copying at all. (laughs) Not to, like, call out everything, because obviously video games are compound pieces of media, but that's a little derivative. Johnny explains that he's had time to think about the situation you're both in, and he apologizes for being a dick before. Mm-hmm. He realizes that if V dies, he dies too, so it's in his best interest to help keep V alive. Plus, seeing that he blew up Arasaka Tower, hoping to change the world, and that it accomplished absolutely nothing, is kind of getting to him. He says this really great line about never bringing a soldier home to see what they're defending. It'll just make them depressed that they ever fought so hard. Johnny tells you about a place called Makoshi. Makoshi is where they store engrams after they are removed using the Soul Killer program that removed Johnny's personality and put it on a chip. So this isn't specific to just Johnny. This has happened with a couple other guinea pigs, and there's a whole fucking room of them. Yeah, so (gasps) this is just the first time one has gotten out into the world. Got it, okay. It's a little bit more complex than that. Johnny specifically is on an experimental chip. Ooh, and V had the uh, experience of dying, which kickstarted the merge. So yeah. this is a very unique situation, but the concept of an engram is not particularly unique to just Johnny. Correct, yeah, because also there's the dolls that can get uploaded with different personalities and stuff like that, too. Oh, so that can be an engram as well. That makes sense. A little bit, yeah. After V gets it removed, he wants to blow it the fuck up as it's the reason he's in this fucking mess to begin with. <laughs> Reasonably, is like, Get it out of me, get it out of me. I want to kill it with fire. And he says that if all else fails, he has an ace up his sleeve. Someone named Alt Cunningham. Great name. V is tired of hearing Johnny talk and tells him to shut the fuck up so they can think about it all on their way over to the Fingers. (laughs) When you get to Fingers Clinic, Judy's there waiting for you. And the two of you beat the information out of fingers that a couple of guys who make snuff film BDs came and took her. Oh, shit. That's terrifying. Yeah, they wanted to use her in one of their BDs. Jesus. And Judy's terrified because this means Evelyn's probably dead. Oh. V reassures her that Evelyn is fine and that the two of you are gonna find her. You go to a part of town that sells some of the more black market knockoff products and find a guy who deals in illegal BDs. V buys one by the same production crew that took Evelyn in an attempt to identify where they filmed it. So illegal BDs, I'm guessing, is like scariest shit imaginable. Yeah, these are the ones that are like true snuff films. Like they get Mm. a BD of somebody who dies. Oh, that's creepy. Real dark web shit. Yeah. V figures out where they've been doing the recordings and Judy drives the two of you to the suspected location. Oh, I bet it's a creepy warehouse. Oh, yeah. You get there and it's just a building of horrible sadness. (laughs) sadness yeah it's like a mixture of those sex dens from taken ah mixed with the torture rooms from hostel jesus yeah it's dark you find evelyn and she's barely conscious oh baby and she's jacked into a computer in a room with like a bloody mattress oh honey v and judy unplug her and carry her out of the building to safety you take her to judy's apartment and put her to bed v needs to know Who hired Evelyn to make the BD of the suite? Judy scans Evelyn's brain for her memory of the day she was hired. 
that's essentially what a brain dance editor does. They can look through a person's mind for memories on a computer, and mm-hmm. then they can edit them into digestible chunks for others to experience. Okay. This is some Black Mirror shit. Yeah, right? And this is what Judy does for a living. Oh, my God. She finds the memory, but whoever hired her was an experienced net runner, and they managed to hide themselves very well. Ugh. In Cyberpunk, there's edge runners and net runners, and you can be both. An edge runner is somebody whose body mods allow them to do great physical feats. So they can do double jumps, move at like Quicksilver-like speed, or be extremely strong. So like Adam Smasher. Yeah, he's very much one of those. Okay. And this is also like 90% of the characters in the Netflix series titled Edge Runners. That makes sense. <laughs> so if you want like a good example, check out Edge Runners. Yeah. Net Runners are digital versions of that, where they are at their best on the internet. Gotcha. So they can hack any system, fuck around with people's operating software, or in this case, hide themselves from being detected in a brain dance. So like, was it, was her name T-Boz that died? T-Bug, yes. (laughs) Like, T-Boz from uh, TLC. (laughs) From TLC, right, no. T-Bug, perfect example. Gotcha, okay. V recognizes some art in the room as being popular amongst a gang in town called the Voodoo Boys. The Voodoo Boys have a very specific taste in art. Yes, and he figures it's as good a place as any to start. Before you head out, Judy has another brain dance she wants to show you. In it, in it, the person who hired Evelyn is being overheard on the phone with somebody else. In the phone call, she says that the Silverhand engram is the only way to get to Alt Cunningham. Dun, dun, dun. V tells Judy they have no idea what that means. <laughs> Not great, but good to know there's a target on my back. Yeah, and asks Judy for a minute so they can think about it. Which really just means, I need to talk to Johnny. Can you leave so I can speak to the imaginary friend that lives in my head? Thank you. (laughs) Basically is what she's doing, yeah. V asks Johnny, what the fuck do they want with Johnny's friend, Alt? And Johnny doesn't know, just that she's the best net runner there is, so it'd be best if they find her soon. (laughs) I don't know, but we need to move fast. On your way, you meet up with Takamura, and he wants V to meet with an old colleague so they can hear what happened the night Saburo died. The old colleague is the bodyguard of Hanako Arasaka, Yorinobu's sister. Oh, yeah. If he can be convinced, maybe Hanako will listen too. And the bodyguard is offended at the idea that Yorinobu could kill his own father and suggests V and Takamura get the fuck out of town before he tells Arasaka where to find them. He's immediately like, go fuck yourself. Oh, entirely. He does not want to hear this shit. He's like, I've known this family for so long. Fuck you. Yeah, and the bodyguard leaves and Takamura's like, well, I guess our last chance is um, we got to go talk to Hanako herself because there's going to be a parade honoring her father this week. And if we go talk to her there maybe we can convince her. Okay. And I just want to take this time to say, like, Takamura is the worst fucking boomer you've ever met. No, but he's supposed to be hot. Well, it's also ironic because considering his birth date, while unknown, he comes across, like I said, probably 50s or 60s. Yeah. Which would make him late Gen Z or actually Gen Alpha even. Gen Z does love a phone call. Like, I'll give them that. Yeah, I say he's a boomer, though, because his text messages are the fucking worst. (laughs) Does he sign his text, like, sincerely... (laughs) No, it's kind of worse. He sends those kinds of text messages that are four words, then send, then four words, then send. And he'll send you a string of like nine texts in a row. Oh, I hate that. Like, 
I'd rather you send me three full sentences than 18 fucking half thoughts. Oh my God. He misspells words. He corrects himself. He uses emojis and abbreviations wrong. (laughs) Misuse of emojis is like amazing though. With like that old meme of like, your grandma died. LOL. Lots of love. And it's like, that's not what LOL means, mom. Don't. Oh, he's the worst fucking texter. Ever. I love that he misspells things. That's actually a very nice character trait of just like, fuck it, he's bad at this. Well, while waiting for the parade, V goes to Rogue, who now has information on that man, Dr. Anders Hellman, the inventor of the chip that's inside V's head. Mm-hmm. When he left Arasaka, their biggest competitor hired him up with a quickness. Oh, of course. But they know that Arasaka would rather kill Hellman then let him go work for their competitor. Totally. He's a nut job. So they're going to be transporting him in an armored vehicle out of Night City where Arasaka can't get to him. Wow. Just for a job transfer. Just for a job transfer. That's insane. And V wants to grab him while he's like outside the city in a dead zone. Okay. Rogue says she knows a woman named Panem Palmer. She's a nomad who just recently left her clan and knows the area really well. And she's also in need of work and will be more than willing to help. Leaving her clan so she's like, I reject the nomad life. I'm on my own now. Yeah, and if you had picked a nomad as your backstory before, that's basically your story as well. (laughs) Twinsies. So V meets up with Panem, and she's that stunning brunette that was arguing with Rogue earlier. Oh, fun. And just to get out of the way, as a straight male V, she is the heterosexual relationship that version can pursue in the game. And Panem is working on an old beat-up station wagon when you approach her, and she listens to your plan and hates it. (laughs) Immediately hates it. Yeah, but she realizes that you can't maneuver that area without her, so she agrees to help if V can help her get her car back because it got stolen. Panem says that in order to pull off the abduction job, you'll need more people. She says she's going to take you to her old clan, the Aldecaldos, as she still has friends there that can help. So she's still kind of cool with them, but she's just like not down for the structure. Yeah. So if you like I said, if you'd picked Nomad as your background, V's like, you got kicked out of your clan. That's not very good. Should we go there? <laughs> V's like, well, let's think about if this is the best social idea. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that in V. Panem's like, yeah, let's find out. <laughs> Well, when you get to the desert camp of the Aldecaldos, we get a scene that I actually hinted at in our Red Dead Redemption 2 episode. Oh? We're greeted at the camp by two men named Mitch and Scorpion. And Scorpion is played by the actor who played Charles in Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, I love him. Because the second I heard his voice, I was like, is that Charles? (laughs) Like fully like connected. Like, I know who you are. Yeah. And I looked it up and sure enough, it was. Love that. And they're super stoked to see Panem. But because the leader of the Aldecaldos, a man named Saul, is mad at her, they can't be seen helping her out. Oh. Plus, there's some generators that aren't working and they need to repair them. You son of a bitch, no. No, don't worry. We're not going to be involved in these generators. Oh my god, I was going to lose my fucking triangle mind. Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe they mentioned generators, though. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? But the, yes. Th- this show has like a 60% we have to fix a generator rate. <laughs> How does that happen? I have no idea. What they do have to offer, though, are some weapons and shit. So Panem also has you carry some of the last of her possessions from her old tent back to the car. She tells V that the reason she left 
was because Saul moved the clan to California with a promise of a better life. Oh, wow. And all he did was move them to the middle of the desert. <laughs> That's how Charlie Manson would recruit people, too. <laughs> He'd be like, come on, let's be hippies and live with me. And then they'd end up living in, like, these weird sand dunes and shit and being like, oops, we're going to go murder people. Like, this is straight up cult mentality. Yeah. So she, like, left to go find that better for herself that she was promised. Hey, dipshit. There's sand in my hair. I'm leaving. Well, after V helps her finally get her car back from a rival gang, they set out to abduct Anders Hellman as he is getting transported out of town. And he's being carried in this flying vehicle. And the plan is to set off an EMP that would knock the vehicle out of the sky. Oh, shit. And then they can collect him from the fallen ship. Fully sombra ulting. Let's go. Yeah. Well, they set off the EMP and it doesn't do a goddamn thing. Oh, no. Because it has backup systems and it just immediately fires back up. You're going to need to hit those generators. Well, Panem pulls out this fucking heat-seeking missile launcher from her back pocket and shoots it down. Oh, my God. And yeah, it's, it hits the ship, but it doesn't, like, fall straight down. It starts just to, like, slowly lose altitude, and she and V take off to go catch it. It, like, slides down. Yeah, and while driving, they hear over the radio Mitch and Scorpion saying they can see a ship falling from the sky and that they intend to follow it so they can scavenge it for parts. Totally. And Panem's like, oh shit, I need to tell them not to do that. This is a <laughs> military level guarded vehicle. No, this is an asset, you idiots. And the problem is the EMP actually fucked up the transmissions. Oh shit. So she can't even call them to say, don't go there. Fuck. And Panem and V arrive just in time to see that every one of the Aldecados who went to the wreck are dead. <gasps> oh my God. Except Mitch whom they find amongst the carnage. Yeah, who has a name, so obviously he's going to stick around a little longer. And he says that the man that they were transporting got taken away by the security forces. They killed all the Aldecaldos, and then they stole the Aldecaldos' vehicles. Oh my goodness. But they also killed Scorpion slash Charles in the whole process. Oh no, Charles. Yeah. They could only afford him for like a day, yeah. but they were like, we got one Red Dead alumni. <laughs> we got one of them. The two of you track where they took Hellman and manage to shoot your way through some guards to him. And he's very confused. So V knocks him out to deal with him later. <laughs> I'm going to punch this guy out and just figure it out along the road. When you exit the building carrying a limp Hellman, a huge group of Aldecados are outside. Because like, yeah. And Panem runs into Saul and Mitch. And Saul just sees this whole situation as Scorpion and his crew are all dead now thanks to panem right and v takes the blame but saul doesn't know or care who v is and directs his anger at panem for letting down the clan <laughs> once again and he stalks off angrily v is new i'm not gonna deal with it this is definitely just panem's fault well mitch explains it was saul's idea to come help panem in the first place oh he has a soft spot and that this was all just some tough love oh but still, probably shouldn't come back to camp just yet. Yeah, but let him cool off. Oh, but that is sweet. Yeah, it, however, it's also one of those groups that seems to normalize that family being toxic is okay. Oh, no. Because toxicity doesn't care if you're family or not, and it's it's totally okay to cut toxicity out of your life. Yeah, 100%. Blood yeah. doesn't mean loyalty, guys. Yeah, at be least- loyal when, to the people that are good to you. Yeah, at least when you're of an age when you- can do so yeah when you can safely set boundaries go for it and those are more life lessons from the other castle podcast this is not us saying it's okay to run away from home no anyway 
So, <laughs> V takes Hellman to a shitty motel and tells him about Johnny and the chip and how he needs it taken out. Right. Hellman says the version of chip that V has in their head is not the one that he worked on. Oh. This is the experimental one that nobody's worked on before. What do you mean no one worked on it? Well, it's just never been tested yet. Like, oh. this was so experimental. This is the first time they've done this. Like, we have to hunt down a mystery scientist who did it and didn't label their work. And is like, no one knows how it functions. Got it. This is just a unique situation. Yeah. He does agree to check it out since he did invent the previous version of the chip that was just storing Johnny. Yeah, I mean, that's like your best bet, at least to start. But he does explain to V, um, it's kind of past the point of help. Oh, no. The chip and V's brain are so intertwined now, neither could function without the other. Oh, God. So you can't just eject it because it's going to pull the plug on V. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's very like neither can live while the other survives. Damn. However, there are clinics in Sweden that could minimize the pain through the final stages. (laughs) Oh, my God. The assisted death shit in Sweden is still relevant in this world. Or... V can come with him to his new employer, and they can do their best with their technology, and maybe, just maybe, they can extract the chip and manage to keep him alive. Sounds good, but I don't trust it. V responds by bringing Takamura into the equation. (laughs) And Hellman knows who Takamura is, and he's scared shitless. Yeah, he was the right hand of, like, the corpo world. Yeah, and he's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And he hands V the blueprints to the chip, which is like the best he can offer since V refuses to go anywhere but back to Night City. Reasonable. V leaves Hellman and Takamura alone in the hotel room. Uh-oh. That, that can't be good. Yeah, we don't really see what happens next. Ugh. So shortly after leaving the motel room, V decides to follow up on that lead with the voodoo boys to figure out who hired Evelyn. Uh, yes, the voodoo boys with their distinct taste in art. Correct. So in order to do so... V actually goes as themselves, a mercenary looking for work. Oh, just keeping it 100. Eh, not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean they just, seemingly. They're, yeah, their, their life is as a mercenary, but this job is not as a mercenary. Yeah. And V completes a task for them in order to prove theirself and eventually is granted an audience with the leader of the voodoo boys, Maman Brigitte. The voodoo woman? It is a voodoo girl. The moment you complete the mission, the voodoo boys attempt to kill V. By frying their brain remotely. Ah, Jesus. Well, it doesn't work, fortunately, but the mission did help save Maman Brigitte, so V and Johnny plan to use that as leverage to get the favor they need out of her. We saved your life, you help us, totally get it. Little quid pro quo. When you return to the Voodoo Boys, they're surprised to see you as they thought they killed you. Oh, so they did, they did the classic villain thing of not checking the body. <laughs> No, and they were doing it remotely anyway. They thought like, oh, I thought we fried your brain from here. God, you can do anything from home now. You can't. (laughs) Remote work. (laughs) The remote work revolution is fucking serious. Even in gang life, yeah. Yeah. And Maman Brigitte recognizes that V saved her and tells her men to stand down and to leave V alone. Hell yeah. She admits that they were the ones who hired Evelyn Parker to scan the room for them. Uh, What they wanted to do was to steal the chip for themselves because they want to use it to contact Alt Cunningham. Now, Alt and Johnny, they knew each other back in the day. This was Johnny's ace up his sleeve that he mentioned earlier. Oh, shit. So they figured having Johnny's essence would help them find her and make her trust them. 
okay, so they're like, we kind of have like a ghost in a chip kind of situation that we could use potentially. And now the ghost is living inside of V. Yeah, remember, Johnny said that she is the best net runner in the world. That's right. Brigitte tells V that they need to go into V's head in order to find information on Alt from Johnny's memories. They need to speak to Johnny now, please. Yeah, all V needs to do is hop in that ice bath over there and go online. Mm. And going online here is not like opening Chrome. It means you go into the internet itself and like you can physically move around inside of it like a VR world. Yeah, like in the South Park episode. Totally following. Now, Brigitte meets V in the internet world and goes to access Johnny's memories. Oh, that's so wild. And suddenly, we're playing as Johnny again. You know what I also appreciate? There's something Matrix about this as well. Oh, entirely. Um, they are not in. hiding any of this. Like <laughs> They are very blatant. Like I said, they, they built out Johnny Silverhand first, and then they were just like, fuck, it'd be cool to get Keanu for this role, because yeah. <laughs> this is fucking Keanu's roles entirely. Could you see anyone else performing this role? Not really, no. Because also in the game, there is an alternate skin for Johnny, which I think was the original design before he was cast as Keanu Reeves. That's cool. And he does look slightly different. He still looks a little Keanu Reeves-esque. Yeah, he looks a a little bit more rockabilly than he (gasps) does like rock star. Okay, that's very sexy. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, I love that. Good for him. (laughs) So this time, we're in 2013. Ten years before blowing up Arasaka Tower. A terrible year. And it's just after one of the concerts. And he's arguing with one of his band members again about him thinking about quitting the band, and he storms off to his dressing room. Such a diva. Well, this shows that he is one of those rock stars who is just constantly threatening to quit the band, because ten years before he died, he's still in the band ten years later. (laughs) Still just throwing a fucking fit. And in his dressing room is a beautiful blonde woman. This woman is Alt Cunningham. And she and Johnny are just pure sexual chaos as they ravage each other on a bunch of drugs. Sexual chaos, oh no! But like all drug-addicted lovers, they also scream at each other and hate each other and she storms off. Very Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Also reminds me of Klaus J and the assassin in Disco Elysium. Oh. Johnny chases after her and she stops to smoke a cigarette in an alley. Some fans of Johnny start asking for autographs, which he declines to give, rudely. I'm in the middle of a fight with my girl. Leave me alone. So they pull a gun and threaten Johnny. Oh, shit. That's some Selena shit. Yeah, but Johnny pulls his own and starts shooting at them. Oh, my God. His PR team must be fucking furious. When a blade comes through his stomach (gasps) from behind. No. And he looks back to see a man with two Huge blades sticking out of his arms. And these things are called mantis blades. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. I love this already. Johnny falls to the ground and watches as the man with the blade arms throws Alt into a van and drives away. Oh, shit. So he got impaled and then saw his girl fucking get kidnapped in front of him. Yeah, Johnny wakes up two weeks later. Oh, my God. At a ripper dock. Jesus. And, like, the person that dragged his ass there is just, like, some random in the alley. And he says that he saw her take Alt. And Alt is the netrunner who actually created the Soul Killer program. Oh, shit. Now, Johnny's a narcissistic fuck. Right. 
And he thinks it's because Arasaka doesn't like Johnny. <laughs> this is about me. Yeah, and he thinks they took her to get at him and not because she wrote the program that would make all of their technology finally work. He's like, this is definitely my problem. And everyone's like, it's clearly about this incredible technology. And he's like, nope, I am the problem. Johnny goes to recruit Rogue and her team so they can storm Arasaka Tower and get Alt back. And his band Samurai performs a pop-up concert at the front steps of Arasaka Tower, and they start a riot. Very punk rock. Yeah, and the riot allows them to sneak into Arasaka Tower. I mean, it kind of works out. Yeah, that's you serve the fans and your own bullshit. Yeah, and I mean, it makes a great story later. Oh, totally. Johnny and crew shoot their way through the tower and finally find Alt on a chair jacked into a computer. Uh-oh. Johnny asks the doctor standing over her what he's done to her, and he says... She's been given the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh-oh. And Johnny just shoots him in the head and goes to alt. I need no further <laughs> context. I will kill you now. What a dumb dipshit. And she is just lifeless in his arms. Mm. Rogue tells him it's too late. Alt is dead. Oh. V gets taken back into that VR world, and Johnny is there with him. V understands a bit better where Johnny has been coming from now and wants to know what happened next. Johnny says that Alt didn't die. She escaped onto the internet. Oh, so she escaped her body, but her consciousness is floating around. Yeah, it actually took a few years, but she eventually contacted him and said she was stuck in the Arasaka internal intranet. Just in the intranet, like fucking looking at HR updates and shit? Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. She's not even in the fun part. And Johnny blowing up Arasaka Tower in 2023 freed her from that prison. Oh, because the internet was destroyed, so she was able to break out? Yeah, so if you remember, he was uploading something just before the bombs went off. That's right. He had to be like, hold up. <laughs> yeah, he was making it so Alt could get out. Oh, oh, that's actually sweet. In the time since then, she's managed to work her way onto essentially the dark web. And she's still within there. She doesn't have a physical body. No, there is no physical body left. Oh, shit. The Voodoo Boys want to contact her there because as a living being on the dark web, she has a fuck ton of power. Right. And their plan works, and Alt seeing Johnny's essence on an engram makes her come out of hiding, and she agrees to talk to Johnny and V privately. Aww. Basically in like a private chat room. That's cool. She asks why Johnny is there, and he says that he is giving her a chance to pay him back for freeing her all those years ago. What a sack of butts. Oh my god. By helping him figure out a way to separate himself from V without killing V. Now, Alt doesn't give a fuck. The Alt Johnny knew died back in 2013. Right. And besides, she doesn't have the tech to separate them anyway. She has truly just become the internet. She is no longer has any humanity left in her yeah she doesn't have thumbs or anything she's just a ghost and to her it's been 50 fucking years and yeah. this is her ex like who cares yeah she's like boy i owe you nothing and the last time they saw each other they were fighting right however if johnny and v can upload her into makoshi that place we talked about earlier that can store engrams yeah she can destroy makoshi and use its sub programs to untangle v and johnny and safely remove them from one another and leave v alone in their body so there's some light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a motivation factor now because uh, she owes no one anything. Yeah, and Alt agrees to this plan as long as you can get her uploaded into Mikoshi. Gotcha. When you get out of the VR world, 
The Voodoo Boys are still shitbags and want to kill V since they just need the chips, so V has to shoot their way out of the stronghold. Oh my god. Yeah, Voodoo Boys suck. That's annoying. Eventually, it is time for the parade and for your attempt to speak with Hanako Arasaka. Yeah. The two-man heist is pretty complex, and you have to sneak and shoot your way through a crowd of mourning people as the richest people in Night City are throwing an elaborate celebration of life ceremony. Oh. And V hacks into the security systems, and they even have to fight off that bodyguard buddy of Takamura's from earlier. Is that Adam Smasher? No, no, no. That one that Takamura brought in to say, like, hey, I need you to tell him what you told me so he can tell Hanako, and then maybe we can get this whole thing going. Oh, gotcha. Excuse me. I just, I'm, I hate Adam Smasher a lot. Oh, no problem. Everybody hates Adam Smasher. He sucks. <laughs> v jacks into a computer and scrolls through some of the uh, security cameras, and he eventually finds Hanako alone in a room. V tells Takamura that she's alone and to make his move. V watches on camera as Takamura enters the room with Hanako and approaches her. And Hanako panics, like, immediately at the sight of Takamura, and she takes off running. Oh, like an oh, shit. And he just goes, forgive me. And he shoots her with a tranquilizer gun, and she oh. falls over limp. Oh, shit. Takamura is not doing well with this family. No, you know, he's, he's a pretty bad guard. <laughs> he's bad at his one job. As it turns out. Takamura picks her up, and V logs off the cameras and comes back to the real world mid-firefight. Oh, my God. Because Hanukkah going down caused all sorts of alarms to go off, because obviously inside of her body, she's got one of those biomonitors that says if anything goes wrong. Of course. Takamura calls V and says where he is taking Hanako, and V goes there to meet them. And they're in this, like, shitty apartment complex, maybe even a hotel, and Takamura tells V to tell Hanako exactly what happened. And V manages to get the story out just as the walls of the room they're in explode. Oh, shit! And, like, military personnel come pouring in through the new hole in the wall, and they're, like, in a flying vehicle right outside the room. Oh, that's horrifying! Yeah, V watches Takamura put his hands up, as the floor beneath gives way. <gasps> and V falls three stories through the ground and blacks out for just a moment. Oh, all three of them fall through, right? No, just V. Oh, just V. Yeah. Oh, shit. Everybody else is still up in the apartment. I, I know this is not how it plays out, but I fully imagine, you know, in those old looting tunes where someone would saw a circle underneath someone <laughs> on the floor and they just fly through. Yeah. Oh, shit. V wakes up with Johnny standing over going, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Reasonable. This is the best thing Johnny said the entire game. V asks about Takamura, and Johnny says, fuck him. Yeah. And you do get a choice here. You can jump back up the three stories as long as you have the body mods for jumping, and you can save Takamura. Or you can leave him to die. And he will die if you don't go back for him. Oh, shit. So there's permadeath for some of the people you interact with. Oh, absolutely. But honestly, it doesn't actually matter in the overall scheme if he lives or dies. Oh. You will not see him again regardless, except in one ending if he lived. Oh, shit. Okay, so goodbye, Takamura. Yeah. One way or another, you shoot your way out of the building and get a shitty motel room way outside of Night City so you can lie low. Oh, God. And Johnny's pissed because this place sucks. <laughs> he's, he's used to the Rockstar lifestyle. He's like, I wanted to stay at the Riot Hyatt. Yeah, and now Arasaka is after you even harder than before. A knock on the door comes out of nowhere, and a woman's voice says they have a message for V. Johnny wants you to shoot whoever it is and be done with it. <laughs> but V lets her in, and she's actually a doll. But she's not here for sex or anything. She's been programmed with a message. And it's actually more than a message, even. She's what they call a proxy. 
Hanako has uploaded a part of herself onto a chip and put it in this doll so that she can speak as herself, but through someone else's body. Oh, shit, that's wild. Again, the 12 people that saw the TV show Dollhouse <laughs> will remember something very similar happening in that show, and it triggered the apocalypse. I want to see the comparison chart of shit that happens in Dollhouse and how it happens in Cyberpunk and just the full scope of how this game is pulled out of that narrative. It's a perfect circle if it's a Venn diagram, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's really easy to steal from material that nobody saw. Yeah. But I saw it and I can tell you there's no way this wasn't ripped off from Dollhouse. There are dozens of us. They literally call them dolls and the clubs they belong to. Dollhouses. Like, they're not even trying. No, not even a little bit. And every aspect of it is exactly the same. That's funny. But instead of being apocalyptic, this technology is just accepted in cyberpunk. (laughs) It just works here, though, so we got rid of that issue. Hanako tells V that she believes that her brother did kill her father, and she's going to need V to help convince the rest of the board of Arasaka that he did it too. V agrees if she will help get into Mikoshi. She says it's a deal, and to meet at a nightclub downtown called Embers. I think that's a very fair deal. Yeah. The proxy leaves, and V and Johnny leave the hotel shortly after. As you leave, V has another coughing fit and passes out, just as Johnny says, Don't worry, V. I'll take care of us. (sighs) That goddamn tuberculosis. V wakes up far from where they were, in a spot called Pacifica, which is basically just Long Beach, but worse. Gotcha. Johnny takes V to an old apartment of his where he has a hiding spot with some old dog tags in it. He says they belong to a guy that died for him on a mission in Mexico once. He says it's his promise that when this is all over, he will sacrifice himself if necessary to save V. Oh, do you believe him? That's kind of the struggle of the game. That's part of the game is should you believe Johnny through the entire game? Mm. So it's... Up to you, whether you want to believe him or not, really. Personally, how do you feel? I know how the game goes, (laughs) so it's unfair to ask me. Okay. What I can say, though, is that your relationship with Johnny depends on how you treat him throughout the game. Okay, so you can be distrusting or you can be more friendly. Okay. I feel like I don't trust him, but I want to. (laughs) Well, his only ask, this might actually get you to trust him, is that V kills Adam Smasher. Oh, hell yeah. I would do that regardless. Because that's the fucker who got him in this position when he shot him all those years ago on top of Arasaka Tower. And fuck that guy. Just straight up fuck that guy. He then tells you that if you're going to storm Arasaka Tower, you'll need someone who's done it before. His former fixer, flame, and friend, Rogue. We're getting the gang back together. But he's going to need to be in control if he's going to talk to Rogue. Right, because it's like... You gotta know the language. Yeah, she's at the afterlife, and if V allows him to take control of the body, he'll get Rogue to help storm the tower. Now, remember I said you have the basic choice of, do I want to do this mission or no? Yeah. Well, if you want to storm the tower with Rogue, you need to do this mission. That's totally makes sense. You take the pills that let Johnny take over, and Johnny swears he's just gonna ask Rogue to help, and then he'll give V back control. Yeah, fucking right, Johnny. <laughs> Now, when you do this, are you still in the shell of V, or do you look like Johnny at all? No, you are V, entirely. And in fact, like, during all this, you can see V's left arm, and it's transparent arm, kind of like in Coco, you know, when his bones start showing through his skin? Okay. You can see the metal arm of Johnny underneath the skin. Oh, that's weird! 
But only Johnny V can see this. Gotcha. Oh, weird. So Johnny V goes straight to the bar and orders a Johnny Silverhand. Yeah, Johnny hasn't had a drink in a while, you know, because he's a ghost. Yeah, and he doesn't order the Johnny Silverhand by name. He actually orders it by recipe. And the bartender's like, oh, a Johnny Silverhand. Okay. We watch Johnny V drink at least eight of them. Oh, my God. Johnny V asks the bartender about a Ripper Dock he used to run with, and the bartender tells Johnny V where the Ripper Dock is working these days. The Ripper Dock gives Johnny V a tattoo because Ripper Docks aren't just like tattoo artists, they also are tattoo artists. And while getting tattooed, Johnny V is getting information on Adam Smasher and the people he runs with these days. So you're not supposed to get tattooed when you're drunk because it thins out your blood and then you bleed a lot more, which makes it difficult to put ink in. It makes it difficult for the artist because you're spurting blood. You move around more. It's it's not a good idea, Johnny. See, I've heard that, but I've also heard other tattoo artists being like, honestly, the only reason we don't let you drink is because you're annoying as fuck. (laughs) Also valid. Very, very valid. (laughs) And the tattoo artist slash Ripper Doc mentions a guy named Grayson that is on Adam Smasher's crew. Grayson. Sorry. Why did my brain autofill that? How broken <laughs> am I? God damn it. Johnny V then goes to a strip club where he has another eight drinks and then blacks out. Is drinking different in the future or some shit? I mean, Johnny, like you said, hasn't had a drink in 50 years, so. And now he's had 16 in the last hour. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, he comes to, and a man wearing a black trench coat is standing in front of him, literally holding a red pill in one hand and a blue one in the other. And Johnny V just keeps shoveling blue pills so he can keep in control of the body. (laughs) One of the strippers meets up with Johnny V outside, and they get in a car, and she starts driving to V's apartment. On the way, Johnny V decides to play a little emo game and starts to finger bang the stripper while she's driving. Oh my god! This causes her to get mildly distracted, and she wrecks the car, flipping it and catching it on fire. I can't tell if that means he was good at it or bad at it. <laughs> I mean, she was distracted. Yeah. And she comes crawling out like, holy fuck, we almost died. I'm so glad you said crawling out at the end of that sentence. Go and on. Johnny V's like, yeah, but we didn't. But did you die? <laughs> But hey, before you go, I need Grayson's information. Sorry about the concussion. Can you please give me your friend's number? Oh, my God. And she writes down a number and then stumbles off. And it actually shows one of the funniest fucking things ever. They are four feet from where they fucking started. Stop. They are steps from the nightclub they were in. That thing when you're drunk and you're like, it's a fucking journey. And you go a block and you're like, damn. She flipped the car four feet away. Jesus Christ, that's embarrassing. Well, V finally wakes up without Johnny, and Rogue is there and is like, oh, okay, there's the real V. (laughs) There she is. She says Johnny explained everything to her, even though it took some convincing that it was Johnny, but she's known Johnny for a long time, and she knows him well enough to know it was really him in there. Yay. She has the information you need on Adam Smasher, and she'll help you if you complete some jobs for her. Also, there's some jobs for Panem and the Aldecaldos as well. And if you're pursuing Judy as a lesbian partner, you have some stuff for her as well, because Evelyn Parker does not survive her whole ordeal. Oh, that's too bad. And Judy wants some revenge that results in the two of you liberating all the dolls at Clouds. Oh, hell yeah, I love that. All of these jobs need to be completed if you want all of the ending options. Okay. There's also some side missions, like hunting a serial killer, of course, (laughs) as well as one particular side mission. That has you helping Delamain track down seven cars that have gone rogue on him. 
His fucking AI lift fleet. Now, I'm only mentioning this as it has no bearing on the rest of the game because it has a few things worth mentioning. Because it's fun. This quest chain led to my discovery of what is known as the Delamain game-breaking glitch. Oh, here we go. Now, there's a very specific way of completing this quest chain that I managed to accidentally stumble into (laughs) that causes a glitch that makes it impossible to move forward in the game. Tom, oh no. It makes your in-game cell phone no longer work. Oh shit. And it is required to complete the game. No. I didn't know about this glitch and I'm not great at manual saves. I did not catch the glitch early enough to revert to an earlier autosave from before the glitch occurred. And at the 45th hour, I had to concede defeat and start the entire game over from the beginning. Oh. Well, did you try putting your phone in rights? <laughs> Is there a way you know, to do that? If I, if I would have had that option, I would have tried it. Okay. <laughs> and this sucks because I was able to do this mission later, and it's a fun fucking mission. <laughs> but it also literally ruined your gameplay. Motherfucking... Ellen McLean shows up as GLaDOS from the Portal series. Wait, no. Yeah, she's one of the rogue AIs that took over the fucking cars. <gasps> and it would be GLaDOS! And Holy she says shit. lines from Portal. Fuck off. She says the line, the test came back and they say, you're a terrible person. No. We weren't even testing for that. Shut up. That's one of my favorite things. I say you monster all the time. Oh, yeah. She calls you a monster. It's fucking wonderful does she call you fat and make fat jokes about you? doesn't make any fat jokes okay. no. <laughs> and that's not the only amazing reference in this mission group like every rogue ai is another pop culture reference one of them's even fucking hannibal lecter oh shit but do one portion of this mission not even wrong just in a specific way and it breaks the entire fucking game that's so sad that it breaks on such a cool fucking sequence of events too well to make matters worse The other thing I didn't realize when this game broke on me was that visiting Hanako at Embers triggers the classic interruption of an action-packed game to say, this is the point of no return, this is the final mission, so finish anything you wanted to get done before proceeding. My game broke just before the final fucking mission. No! I didn't find this out until my second playthrough that I was at the goddamn end. (laughs) I played damn near this entire game when I had to start it over. You literally get all the way up to the fucking finish line and then collapse. Oh, I, I feel your pain in the back of my neck. Like it's in my like top spine is where I'm hurting for you. But I guess it's kind of a testament to the fact that this game was always just good enough to make me actually want to go through it a second time. I feel like you have to just because like, You already put in the time you're owed the ending. Right? Plus, patch 1.5 was coming in a week, so I just waited for that patch before picking it back up. (laughs) You furiously put it down and stare at it for a week going, fuck you, game. Oh, Jesus. And truly, I recommend playing as many of the side missions as possible. They can be a lot of fun. One of my favorites is actually because there's a performance in it that is absolutely incredible, and it came from a source I was not expecting. Because you obviously expect GLaDOS to perform well because it's fucking GLaDOS, but what are you talking about? The multi-talented performer Grimes, the ex-wife of lunatic CEO and Twitter destroyer Elon Musk. She's in this? She's in this game. Why? What? 
She plays this incredible character that hires V to help with some like famous people problems because she's a very famous like performer in cyberpunk. Oh, for sure. And honestly, she knocks it the fuck out of the park really? with her performance. I don't know much about her outside of the Elon stuff, frankly. I know that she's a musician and they did the Met Gala together, but I did not know she was like a valid performer. Yeah, I didn't know shit about her, but this made me be like, damn, should I be paying attention to Grimes? She's fucking great. Okay. And remember, it took me 45 hours to get to this point, and game has about 100 hours of content if you max it out. Okay, Jesus Christ, though. And I'm not saying all 100 hours are going to be great. Many yeah. <laughs> of those hours won't be, because while there's variety in how you complete a mission, there is zero variety in mission style. Oh, it's very, like, go in, pick up the package, do the thing. Yeah, pew, it's pew. break in, steal the goober, get out. Yeah. You can go in stealth or violently, but that's literally every single mission in the entire game. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the content's there if you want it. Regardless, once all the pieces are in place and you've had your fun in the game proper, it's time to visit Hanako at Embers. Even on the elevator ride up, Johnny does not want to have an Arasaka on the team, even if she believes you. He hates the whole damn family and doesn't trust any of them. <laughs> He's like, I have not had good interactions with this group of people and I'm not comfortable with this. Hanako paid to have the club empty, so it's just the two of you and her couple guards. What a fucking flex. Oh my god, right? That's just, that level of money is so insane. She says that she knew from day one that her brother killed her father. They know how to check for poison and could tell he was strangled. We can tell that shit today. It's 2077. It's probably even easier then. Yeah, you can just kind of look at someone and be like, hey, I see this giant bruise around your neck, so I'm going to go with that as the death. But here's the thing. Her father above all else, cared about family. Oh. And he would not want his son being labeled a murderer. So Hanako has stayed quiet about it up until now. That's so sad. Oh my God. However, it keeps eating at her, and she realizes that since V knows and can leak the information anyway, she might as well rise up against her brother in order to preserve Arasaka for what will happen after it comes out that its leader was killed by his own son. Oh my God. In exchange, she will help V get access to Mikoshi so V can upload Soul Killer and Alt into it and get Johnny removed from the trip. She says she will take you to the next board meeting, and you can tell the board in front of Yorinobu himself what happened that night Saburo died. This way, Yorinobu can't run from it and he'll have to face it head on. Yeah. Like, what's he gonna do? Shoot out a fucking board meeting? Yeah. Hang on to that. Your, oh no! <laughs> your conversation is interrupted by you having a nosebleed. And Johnny lets V know, you need air now. Uh-oh. V gets in the elevator and Johnny yells at V for trusting in Arasaka. He does not want to go with her plan. <laughs> He's not into it at all. V offers up going in guns blazing just like Johnny did back in the day. And Johnny doesn't get time to consider this because V falls over unconscious. Oh, shit. V wakes up in Vic's Ripper Doc clinic. Johnny took over V's body and he just barely made it there. V asks Vic, how bad is it? And Vic won't even answer. It's so bad. Oh, shit. He's like, you have like a day to live at best. <gasps> oh, my God. So you are fully decaying. Yeah. He points to a table and says there's some pills and a gun on the table. Either go handle this shit or, you know, go do handle what you this do. shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> as you exit Vic's shop, you see his assistant, Misty, Jackie's former girlfriend. She offers to take you to a spot she and Jackie used to go to. It has a great view. Oh, my God. Now, one more pause real quick to talk about great views. What the fuck? 
In this game, as I said, there are a number of romantic partners you can pursue. And the thing I hated about playing as Girl V was how every single fucking dude you met had a spot he wanted to take me to to show me the great fucking view. <laughs> every single one of them. Oh, have you? Okay, be real. Have you done that in your real life? I don't think so. I mean, you and I like going to places that has a view, but I'm not like, hey, I know a spot. Okay, good. Because uh, as a, you know, I'm a woman. It happens a lot. That's very accurate to the female experience. It's just dudes being like, let me take you on a date. We're going to park somewhere. And you're like, you dumb asshole. This is not fun. Yeah, guys, stop taking girls to your favorite view. She's fucking been there before. Yeah, and even if you're like, we're going to go smoke on a rock, which I've been on that date. It's whatever. Like, don't do that. Yeah. It's bad. It's not interesting. If you're balling on a budget, there are options. You don't have to just go look at shit. And clearly Jackie at one point took Misty to his favorite view spot because that's where we find ourselves now. And sweet dumb Misty was like, oh, he wanted to share this with me. No, honey. <laughs> Put down a towel. You do not want to sit there. Like, that's a bad idea. And it's literally just the roof of the building she lives in. So it's like, okay. It's her roof? It's her roof. His spot is at her home? <laughs> oh, my God. Jackie. He anyway, knows better. Yeah. What the fuck? And when you get to the roof, there's some lawn chairs set up, and she tells you about the last time she was there with Jackie. Oh. And he said he was going to become a, a Night City legend, Chica. Oh. She leaves V to be alone with their thoughts, and Johnny tells V that if there's anyone they need to call, now's the time. Oh my god. Basically, you can call your romantic partner and say goodbye, but V is pretty honest with their partners if you choose to be, so they already understand what you're trying to do. Either all of this is going to work, or you're going to die. There's not really a third option on this mission. If you completed all your missions, you will have four options on how to proceed. You can take the red pill, getting rid of Johnny, and go to Hanako and follow her plan. You can take the red pill, getting rid of Johnny, call Panem, and raid the tower to find Makoshi with the Aldecaldos as your backup. You can take the blue pill, let Johnny take over, and he will either go solo or take Rogue to Arasaka Tower and raid it in order to find Makoshi. Or you can just put this all to rest. Oh, God. If you put this all to rest, V jumps off the side of the building right then and there, <gasps> and the game is just over. Jesus! Storming Arasaka with the Aldecaldos and storming Arasaka with Rogue are basically the same thing. Okay. Despite one being with V and the other with Johnny. Hanako's plan has its very own ending, and each of these paths have like small choices to make that slightly alter the paths like in each one of these. But, you know, these are kind of essentially the only big major places you can go down for the ending of the game, right? Yeah, and we've already gotten one out of the way with jumping off the building. <sighs> now, we have a choice to make. Let's start with accepting Hanako's offer okay. and helping Arasaka. V takes the red pill, locking Johnny away. And they do like a little goodbye just in case they don't see each other. Aww. Johnny always knew this was part of the equation, so he's not like upset about going away. He's just mad that V wants to trust Arasaka. He's like, dude, <laughs> these are not good people. He's like, I literally died trying to take them down once and I failed, so. So good luck, buddy. But V believes that Hanako's going to uphold her end of the deal. V calls Hanako and she tells V that her brother has figured out that she's up to something and he's keeping her locked up in an apartment he owns in town. V promises to break her out before they go to that board meeting she talked about in order to enact her plan. And Hanako sends V a limo. And if Takamura is alive, he shows up with Anders Hellman, and they question you why you're doing this. 
And if Takamura is dead, it's just Hellman. Mm. Considering one of the personalities in your head set off a bomb that blew up Arasaka once upon a time, they <laughs> have some concerns. Okay, super reasonable. Yeah, and V assures them that Johnny is tucked away behind pills. The three of you set off for Yorinobu's place, and Hellman is driving and whining because, damn it, Jim, he's a doctor, not a <laughs> chauffeur. <laughs> How did you slide that one in? God damn. <laughs> All right. I see you. When you arrive at the mansion, things go south real quick. Oh, no. And Hellman is forced to start off a firefight by running over a security guard. And if Takamura is alive, he pats Hellman on the shoulder and he goes, fine work, chauffeur. <laughs> what a dick. You kill the people holding Hanako captive and you all take off in a flying vehicle set for Arasaka Tower. When you arrive, she takes the group to her father's office explaining he had an identical office built in every building he owned around the world. Aww. It's what makes him so efficient and resilient. <laughs> v notices that Hanako keeps speaking in present tense, not in past tense, considering her father is dead. And she gives a very Dumbledore-esque, my father will always be here as long as there are those loyal to him and his ways kind of answer. We all live on in memory. She takes V to an elevator hidden in a wall in order to show him the most trusted secret Arasaka has to offer. The elevator starts going down and continues for a long time in this 100-plus story building. Hanako says that before the board meeting, she needs to consult with him one more time. V is confused as fuck as they approach a room that looks like something out of Star Wars and like that tank Darth Vader hangs out in the original trilogy. Oh, shit. She says that the office upstairs is not the only identical copy her father made uh-huh as she says this a hologram version of saburo arasaka walks toward hanako and v and she addresses it as if it were the real saburo oh god so he's a computer ghost he's a computer ghost now oh shit v and saburo argue as he doesn't trust v considering v is a thief who stole the johnny silverhand engram he also values family above all else even murdering sons. Oh. But he agrees that Yorinobu is probably going to bring this glass house crumbling down around them, so he wants to see Hanako in control. She at least listens to her dead hologram of a dad. Oh my god, he, he's like, this child respects my authority that I have from the underworld. Yeah, and through all of this, V is in worse condition than Arthur Morgan is at the end of Red Dead 2. Oh no, so V's like hobbling and shit while this is happening. Oh my god, he's coughing and passing out, blacking out and coming to in new locations. Oh god. And partially just to make it so the player doesn't have to go through another hundred floors. <laughs> okay, valid. But also, V's got like no time left. God damn. When Hanako and V arrive at the board meeting, the members are all confused as to her being there. Yorinobu's not even there. He said to start the meeting without any of the Arasaka family members present. Hence their confusion. Also, who the fuck is V and why are they here? Yeah. <laughs> You're new. She's like, well, good. If my brother's not here, removing him as CEO shouldn't be too difficult. She tells V to give their testimony. And she even makes a board member vacate their seat for V. Like, <gasps> That's so fucking cool. Oh, it's the most ultimate of insults. It's so good. Because boardrooms don't have extra chairs. No. She was telling this man, stand, bitch. Yep. V tells the group what he saw, but, of course, they already knew all of it. Plus, who gives a fuck what a thief says? Ugh, that sucks. So Hanako says, let's see what my dad has to say about it. And she pulls a small hologram projector out and places it on the table. 
and the hologram of Saboru appears, and he's fucking towering over everybody, and he just starts scolding all the board members. Also, like Star Wars, we get some Emperor Snoke shit. Yeah, and one guy thinks it's just a trick, and Saboru goes, We were alone one time when you told me a stupid plan you had. I told you that you lack three things. Confidence, intelligence, and a dick. Why is this person on the board? Clearly, nothing has changed since my death. That's so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. The man shuts up after that. And he's like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> also, I need to call HR. The ghost was bullying me. The ghost was bullying me. Saberto says that if it comes from Hanako, consider it coming from him going forward. Damn, that's cool. As the hologram shuts off, a security alert starts blaring and the entire board starts panicking. They think Hanako activated the security alarm, but she says she didn't. And suddenly, Bullets rip through most of the board members, and a security <gasps> team is there and kill everyone but V and Hanako by the time V kills them. Oh, shit. Hanako is like, fucking Yorinobu. He was going to do this whether we showed up or not. Oh, my God. Her dumb dipshit ass brother. She tells V to go to Yorinobu's office and to take him alive. If V hurts Yorinobu in any way, V dies. Oh, shit. Even being a father murdering piece of shit. Yorinobu is still family. Ugh. V doesn't understand, but really doesn't have the option to question it either. V kills their way to Yorinobu's office, and just before reaching it, Adam Smasher drops in to try and stop V. That son of a bitch! I hate Adam Smasher! And if Takamura's alive, he'll fight this battle with you, and Adam will, like, taunt the fuck out of him for being a failed security guard. Oh. Like, the worst insult ever. Yeah. Being 95% robot, he's fucking hard. Totally. But you do manage to kill him like you promised Johnny you would. Good. Is Johnny, like, stoked in your head, or can you not even hear him through no, the No, Johnny's red pills? gone. Yeah, Johnny's just okay. fucking gone. V gets to Yorinobu, and he's a broken man. Oh. Laying on the ground and a gun with a single bullet by his side. He's looking at a computer screen that's showing cities all over the world. Tokyo, Paris, Madrid, London saying that the people of those cities no longer have anything to fear because the people of those cities aren't there anymore. What? He said his father taught him to control with fear, but he always thought the fear of having the ability to destroy was stronger than actually destroying. But Saboru decided to act today and blew up all those cities. <gasps> oh my god! Yorinobu wasn't even the one who called security. Saburo did. Oh my god. Hanako finally gets to the office and he breaks down crying in her arms. And she's like, not in front of strangers. Oh, honey. And she sends V off with Hellman, who is going to get that chip out just as she promised. Hellman says to V as they get on the elevator that fate is a bitch. You fight so hard your whole life against something just to literally become the thing you were fighting. Ugh. And V is too out of it to even remotely understand what that means. V is like, cool metaphor, bro. I'm dying. V goes dark and finds himself in the VR world. And they're at the base of a pyramid with steps leading up it. And V climbs the pyramid as the tip of it has a light coming out of it, like the Luxor here in Las Vegas. <laughs> at the top, Johnny is there. And he's kind of just staring out into the void where the light is actually coming from. It's, it's like beyond the pyramid itself. Depending on how your relationship developed throughout the game, you and Johnny can part on good or bad terms. And regardless, Johnny makes V realize that even if they successfully remove the chip, the two of them have merged in a way that nobody will ever be able to fix. 
Johnny has learned from V. V has learned from Johnny. Their experiences were intertwined. Their perspectives aligned. Something no two other beings in history have ever done before. There's going to be a hole there, even with a successful surgery. V awakens out of the VR world as the doctors successfully remove the chip, and they wake up in a clinical-as-fuck room. V has no idea if they're V or Johnny, and is confused as fuck, and the doctors are just very formal. Telling V that some memories are gone forever, some will return with time. Now go to your room. Now go to your room like you're being grounded after surgery. Yeah, and V stumbles out of the operating room into a hallway with windows, and V looks out and sees an incredible view of outer space. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, you're in a space station above Earth now. Space? Yeah. Uh, space, not a whole space. lot of explanation about this one. What and this part's pretty rough because you're recovering from brain surgery. Colors are all wrong, but eventually they do return. Days turn into weeks and then months. And the most fucked up thing is sometimes the news is on and it's telling a horrifying story. More horrifying than the fact that you woke up in space? Because that's pretty bad. Saboru Arasaka, the dead turned holographic patriarch of the Arasaka Corporation, has uploaded his entire engram into the body of his son, Yorinobu <gasps> Arasaka. Oh my god, he took his eye for an eye. I, this is fully, I think that's even, right? Yeah. What the fuck? That's why you are not to harm a hair on his head. Oh. Yorinobu got the blame for the bombs blowing up around the world, making people grateful for the return of Saboru as the head of Arasaka. This is some fucking 8D chess or some shit. This I is said wild. Saburu might go down in history as the most fucked up CEO we've covered. Oh. Eventually, V can't take the daily tests and loses it, breaking the equipment in the process and refuses to continue doing any tests. Another day passes, and V wakes up with Takamura standing in the room. And if Takamura's dead, it's Hellman. Either he explains that while the removal of the chip was a success... Everything else is failing. V will have about three months to live, no matter what they do. Oh. There were changes at the DNA level when Johnny was inside V's head. Holy shit. They offer a spot in Makoshi's new Secure Your Soul program, which, think of it like cryo-freezing just your digitized brain. Oh my god. Then, down the road, when they figure out how to put V's engram into a new body, they'll do that. Now, Saburo and Yorinobu are a different case, as they share 50% of the same DNA, which made the transfer really easy. Oh. Huh. V doesn't have anyone. That makes... Okay, because it was a, a molecular level where the DNA changed because Johnny was a different... Oh, my God. Oh, this is wild. Now, here you can go in one of two directions. You can take the offer or go back to Earth and live out the last three months however they want. Take the offer and V gets in a chair, plugs in, and the screen goes black. Don't take the offer... And V gets in a ship back to Earth. Hmm. And the screen goes black. And that is the end if you help Arasaka. I don't love that ending. Yeah, it's pretty fucking bleak, wouldn't you say? Yeah. This is also why I said at the top, there's five-ish endings. Because within each ending, there's also minor differences that can be made within each of the missions. Yeah, holy shit. Now, let's go back and see what happens when we don't trust the mega corporation and instead go <laughs> in... Guns fucking blazing. Hell yeah.
Now, we have a choice to make. Why am I dizzy? Let's choose what happens when we decide not to trust Arasaka. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Again, those options are to stay as V and team up with the Aldecaldos to storm Arasaka, or go in as Johnny and either team up with Rogue to storm Arasaka or go it alone. The goal for each is to break into Mikoshi, as that was all you wanted anyway, and Hanako told V where the access point to Mikoshi is already, underneath Arasaka Tower. Remember also, we completed some side missions in order to get the Aldecaldos and Rogue on our side already, so some story progression has gone on in their respective worlds. Like for Panem, she's rejoined the Aldecaldos after V helped her out. Oh, cause she laughed and she was like, fuck you guys. And then she's like, just kidding. Yeah, you guys do a whole mission to help her out, get back in. And if you're hetero male V, you're in a pretty serious relationship with her by this point. Aww. V becomes an official member of the Aldecaldos as well. Oh, shit. And that makes any struggle V's going through an Aldecaldo struggle. This makes Saul agree to give V whatever help they need to break in. Family. However. This heist will bring a lot of heat, so afterwards, the whole gang is going to need to pack up and head far east as possible. Oh, shit. So we're doing this, and then we're moving. Yeah, and if you're lesbian female V, you're in a serious relationship with Judy. Oh. And the only thing Judy wants is to get the fuck out of Night City and start over somewhere. Reasonably. She's like, my friends keep dying. Like, this shit sucks. So she's really open to the idea of teaming up with the Aldecaldos, but she will not be joining you on the heist because she's not a fighter. She's a softie. Totally. Reasonably so. With Rogue, it takes a bit of convincing that you're Johnny again, and then she has to round up a couple gang members to help with the assault. Rogue also hates the idea of working with Alt Cunningham because both Rogue and Alt are exes of Johnny, so there's some cattiness there to begin with. Even though one's a fucking AI on the internet. Yeah, and like, didn't you say it's been 50 years? Yeah. Babe, get over it. V or Johnny manages to break into Arasaka Tower through some epic battles and eventually make it to the room just outside of Mikoshi, but there's a metal door closing it off. Mm -hmm. It's a sci-fi door, one of those ones that goes straight up and down into the wall. <laughs> oh, of course. And like a generator that powers everything, I don't think this type of door actually exists in the real world. No, fully doesn't. But sci-fi loves these doors. <laughs> anyway, Saul or Rogue helps V or Johnny open the door just high enough to slip under when an explosion comes from behind, destroying the door you're opening and sending you all flying into the room. Oh, shit. Adam Smasher crashes <gasps> the party. That son of a bitch. And you hear Panem scream out, Saul, no! As Adam approaches Saul. Saul pulls a shotgun and screams out, Aldecaldos! As he shoots Adam Smasher in the chest. Adam Smasher is completely unfazed by the blast. Yeah, he's mostly robot. And yells out, fucking meat! And he slams his foot down on Saul's head. <gasps> squishing it like a bug. Ew! Oh, that's terrible! With the Johnny team, they all fly into the room and Adam looks at Rogue and says, I remember you, cunt. <clears throat> and he drives his fingers into her chest and then lifts her up into the air. And Rogue, with her last breath, pulls a grenade and says, eat shit and die, bastard. Hell and yeah. sticks the grenade to his chest. And this explosion kills her, and it actually hurts Adam pretty badly. Oh, holy shit. Regardless of which one you're in, it's more or less the same fight you had with Adam in the Trust Arasaka fight, just in a different location. 
No matter what you do, you have to fight this motherfucker. I hate it. Oh, yeah. You got to kill Adam Smasher. Yeah. Finally, V or Johnny makes it to the port where they can upload into Mikoshi. It's the same VR world with the pyramid before, and if you're V, Johnny's at the top. If you're Johnny, V's at the top. Alt Cunningham takes over Mikoshi and cleans it out and then starts using Soul Killer to separate V and Johnny. However, even at this deep a level, there's not much hope for V. Oh, you're too intertwined. Alt thinks V won't survive long in their body once the separation is complete. But Johnny could take over, and everything would be fine. Really? Yeah. Oh, because Johnny's more of a parasite, and because they're the one that is altering the DNA, it would be an easier transition for Johnny, right? Yeah, well, V's brain is organic. Johnny's brain is digital. So the brain can die, the chip won't. Got it. Okay. Oh, that's wild. And the two of you talk it out. And again, how it goes depends on your relationship that you had with Johnny. Johnny can fuck over V and keep the body. Johnny can willingly give it up. V can keep the body. Or V can willingly give Johnny the body. You have a few choices. Whoever doesn't get the body simply merges with Alt Cunningham and just becomes a part of the internet with her. Oh, like joins them in the fucking beyond. That's crazy. Yeah. That's some Ready Player One shit, too. You know, that's fucking... Very much so. Well, Ready Player Two more so. Yeah. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so wild. As Johnny giving control back to V, V wakes up in bed with Judy or Panem sometime later. V has decided to stick around Night City and continue working as a mercenary. Judy or Panem still wants to leave Night City, and either she does without V. Aww. It ends with V taking a job to sabotage that space station they would have gone to if they had trusted Arasaka. As Johnny keeping control, he goes to a guitar store and buys the most expensive guitar in the store. <laughs> he finds a street kid who's trying to learn it, and Johnny gets on a bus and leaves Night City and the guitar with the kid. Aww. If you stay as V from start to finish, you get what is arguably the best ending. Okay. V and Panem look out over the city and talk about how Alt is destroying Arasaka from the inside like an undetectable living computer virus. Taking out Mikoshi was worth billions of dollars in research alone. V still only has a few months to live, but Panem thinks she knows some people back east who can help out. The two of you rejoin what's left of the Aldecaldos, and Panem becomes their leader, with Saul being brain-squished and all. And Judy joins you, and she's just excited to get the fuck out of Night City. (laughs) Hell yeah. And every one of these endings have the final moments play out as a cutscene, giving you kind of your only chance to see your version of V from third person. And the credits will always include video voicemails from characters you've met throughout the game telling you how they felt about you. Really? Like a... Kind of like when you sign out a yearbook and they're like, hey, you've been really cool. Good luck outside of Night City. Yeah, kind of. Oh, that's sweet. I, I mean, I do like the Johnny ending of him giving a guitar over to a kid and going on with his life, but oh. Ultimately, this game is over. Wow. The end. Holy shit. I could use a shot. A nice big bio shot because holy <laughs> shit, that's how I feel about that. I mean, I appreciate that you did this. I feel like I don't have to play it now. 
Yeah, you don't really have to, but like I said, there's almost 50 hours of side missions you could easily go through and see an entire story going on in there. I mean, I think I am going to go look up those GLaDOS bits because I'm a sucker for shit like that. <laughs> so very glad you brought that up, but man, that's crazy. This game was wild. Just the story of its creation all the way up through the ending of the game itself. Yeah, <laughs> the actual game. Yeah, entirely. And Holy shit. I have to say, if you have the means to play it, you know, PlayStation 5 series or, you know, very high-end computer, you should play it. You should. Really? Yep. You really should. I, I know I can't say it's a bad game. I think I can. I don't want to play this. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and not to knock it, but, you know, I'm there's some unethical elements to the game and yeah. how the team was treated, but unfortunately, you know, there is no fair consumerism under capitalism, right? No. Like, it is it is just, it is what it is. But can you vote with your wallet a little bit better? Yeah. Can you find a game that works when you buy it? Yeah. Can you find a game that doesn't make you just depressed as shit at the end of it? Probably. And I know that's ironic coming from me. I have a Night in the Woods tattoo. Like, I, <laughs> I love depressing shit. I'm into it. But... I know, after such a slog and so much sadness, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, to not have any real happy endings was really fucked up. And you don't need a happy ending in a game, no, right? Like no. It doesn't need to happen, but it feels like there's just so much pain and it's unending. And even in the best possible endings, it's like, yeah, but you know, you're going to die before next Christmas. So sorry, V. Yeah, Bioshock doesn't even have a happy ending. Yeah, and it's still a great game. <laughs> Any of the Bioshocks don't have a happy ending. Spoiler alert on those two. But... Facts. No one is happy at the end of Bioshock ever. No. No. <laughs> but with Cyberpunk, you know, we've got more coming. We've got the expansion coming out, which I don't know how they're going to do. My big question is, because like, for example, spoiler alert for L.A. Noir, the main character does die in that game. And they later release DLC that takes place before he dies. So that way you can like do other missions. And so I'm curious, are we going to get the same thing out of cyberpunk? Where is this expansion going to be? We're going to have to exist before V, you know, goes towards the ending. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, it can be so open where you could be Jackie prior to meeting V or something, or perhaps Jackie's old partner or, you know, time hop around that, but it's just like... Oh, you think a different character entirely? Yeah. Okay. I like mean, it's it. the only way you really could, other than, you know, just doing the bullshit of just saying like, yeah, this happened also in the game. Yeah, so otherwise, it's kind of a new game plus where you're souped up and you have your all your stuff, or you start from scratch or something. So mechanically is where I'm coming from on this. Ugh, and this game doesn't have a new game plus, which is really infuriating. Oh, oh, so you had to fully start over from scratch when you restarted yeah but oh yeah what a slog i would also like to take the v that i have now and go from the very beginning and like just fuck shit up yeah oh fully yeah no that's the fun of doing like spider-man plus when you have all of the fucking spidey tricks and shit and you're just like zap 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 fuck you yeah, yeah like that's fun burn through it real fast hell yeah I do like that in Last of Us as well, where you can just be like, I'm a flamethrower from the get. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Yeah. Well, anyway, that was Cyberpunk 2077, everybody. And that was also season five of The oh, Other Castle. Okay, now I just deserve the shot. Congratulations, Tom. Good season. It was a good season, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I am very proud of doing Goose Game because it seemed like a stupid game that shouldn't have had a plot, <laughs> plot twist. It fucking did. I really enjoy doing Until Dawn just because I love that game and will take any excuse to talk about it. 
I had a good time. I totally get you. Well, I oh. don't have much left to give you. <laughs> but we do have a little bit on our Patreon. That's right. Go to theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Now that we are in mid-season break, we will be doing some more content there. You'll be able to stay in contact with us, see what we're doing, see what we're playing. There's a game coming out in like a week or two after this episode drops that I'm very excited for that I have not talked about on the show, but I will be gushing about and hopefully playing as long as it doesn't get delivered like trash like this one did. Yeah. And, you know, Andrea is a responsible person and she did not pre-order this game. She is extremely excited for because you know what? It'll still fucking be there when it releases. Yeah. You know why? We don't even buy fucking physical copies anymore. We just do digital. Yeah, all digital. I'm a millennial. I don't want to touch something. <laughs> That's how you get COVID. <laughs> digital is safer for your body. It's for your health. And video games are for my mental health. So that's what we're going to go with. But we are actually going to have a little podcast summit. We are working on season six, at least outlining right now. So don't worry. Even while we're in break, we will still be working on content. It just takes a lot of time to put these games together, as you can tell from this insane episode. Tom did a crazy amount of research, played a hundred hours of this fucking game accidentally when he was trying to only play like 60, so bear with us. The content is coming. And girl, I'm already playing two games for next season. Like You are. I'm already like on it. That's right. We were out of town and you brought the Switch just to be like, all right, when we have downtime, I'm going to jam this shit out. It's like... (laughs) hell yeah <laughs> fucking go for it so we have some fun stuff i have a couple things cooking I'm gonna give them a stir and we are beyond excited for what's to come and again if you want to hang out with us in person we will be at level up expo in february in las vegas come give us a sweet high five we would love to see you again we're so grateful to those organizers we're very grateful to the amazing comic-con organizers where the we got to meet people for the first time at the beginning of this season we are having an absolute blast we are so grateful for the goombas who are coming with us so thank you so much yep All right, Goombas, that's everything for you. This is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Thanks for season five, everyone. Thank you for season five, and we'll see you back here again for season six. Woohoo! Bye.